Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it you on the podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the pages of a fictionalized account of my experiences here in 2019 yeah. Hit, the, hit the nail on the head there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the book is not is not particularly subtle within the context. How of I should movie. I think it's called uh, How I Should Have Had Sex with Me Along that one night. Yeah, that, that's the so, book. That's what. Well, I think that's what I think. That, I think that's what the book's about. But it seems like that it. one night the dancing should have turned to yeah, sm- sm- the Stevie Wonder. Yes, yeah, Stevie Wonder. Um, with us today is yes. uh, Aaron Thomas. Aaron, creator, showrunner of SWAT, wrote on Sleepy Hollow and did. Friday Night Lights and The Get Down and Southland. 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 Yep. Um, a man of many incredible credits. I try. It's good to be employed. That is and true. directed a, a ESPN 30 for 30. 30 for 30 about uh, USC, the USC football team under Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. And uh, we tied that into the world of Hollywood and, you know, kind of how that's Hollywood's college football team if there is such a thing and where, yeah. can, where can people watch that now uh, you, you can to? watch that let's see there was the deal with netflix is up because of the whole disney right thing. sure so it'll probably uh, it'll probably be up on yes. disney plus when that when that goes up when disney plus launches in november yeah. you know i believe there are right now there are discussions mm-hmm. as to how much that abc sure you know, espn content will be buy it on itunes i'm assuming and yes, amazon that's for sure you can you can probably check it out on YouTube as well, though I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> really of all people, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I will miss my residual check for 27 20, cents. Yeah, exactly. yeah. um, so in 1999, uh, where were you? 
living? In 1999, I was I was not 10 years old. I would say that. Um, okay. I was a grown-ass man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was living in the Midwest where I'd grown up. I was living in Kansas City. And mm-hmm. in 1999, I actually got married. Um, I got married to my wife. We got married in August of that year. Oh, okay. you just had wow. your 20th anniversary? Yes. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was in a place of like very young man, um, getting married, feeling like I know everything sure. and not knowing anything at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, and feeling like I, I knew something about film and TV at the mm-hmm. time. So, um, you know, it was like young, dumb, but fun, you know, watching a lot of different things, being excited about kind of how the film industry and TV industry were kind of shifting at that time. We were coming out of that era of Tarantino and yeah. Soderbergh mm-hmm. and, you know, getting in, just starting that era of the big tent poles, like starting to take over. Yeah. Yeah, they were starting to, it was, yeah, it was well, sort episode of, one came out in 99. Yeah. Yes. Matrix. And I remember yeah. that. I remember waiting in line. Yeah. I've never been more excited. That was back when like the midnight showings were still a rare thing. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah. a special thing for the yeah. film. Like the Thursday midnights. Yeah. The Thursday midnights yeah, where yeah. there were lines around the block and you had yeah. the ticket and you're like, this is the first Star Wars movie in like, you know, 20, 25 years. No reserve seating. No reserve no. seating. Yeah. So you better get you better in there get early in. and you better, <laughs> you better fight. Your jacket to you know, put <laughs> yep. across exactly. two seats for your friends. You, yeah. you got like that person that's there early in the very, very front of the line so that they can get in yeah. and kind of reserve the role. <laughs> Fred, you don't really care about that much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The sacrificial you lamb to sit at the front. Yeah. Yeah. The person yeah. has to prove themselves to the rest of the yeah, group. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you better get there. So yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So do you remember some of the movies that really had an impact on you in 99 by any chance? Funny enough, I mean, you know, Phantom Menace, weirdly enough, sure. because of the anticipation for yeah. it was a big influence in that, you know, people don't realize now, but when I look back on it, that was kind of an introduction of, oh, we can do prequels. We can like go back totally. and do the story that yeah. introduces the character. Now everyone does that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, TV shows do, shows do that. Yeah. Look at Orange is New Black, you know, season one, where we're going back and getting mm-hmm. backstory and everyone. Mm-hmm. People don't give credit to the fact that before Phantom Menace, we were always looking to the future. What's the sequel? Yeah. What comes after? Yeah. That was the first time on a prominent level where we were going back and getting like significant backstory. Totally. Now, what they did with it is an entire different conversation. <laughs> no. Yeah. We, yeah. I mean, we did, we did a two part episode on, on, on episode one. And, oh, yeah. And, we did and do two parts on it. We did do two yeah. parts on that. It was a lot. And, and it does, it's, it's one of those movies that, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but, Sitting in that theater when that when you know when Jar Jar shows up, a part of me died a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you just you you were just I the disappointment was was pretty palpable. Um, but even then, I was in denial. Like I still went to see it a couple more times. Yeah. Like I still was like, it's, I mean, there's good stuff here, the pod raising, whatever. But it was the first sort of real kind of serious expectation that just was not met. But the film does feel like it's being kind of reevaluated, and there is stuff in it that's not as bad as back then. But were you disappointed when you saw it? I was severely disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Like many, like many. Yes, sure. But I I will say this. I had already had disappointments before where my expectations had been high. You know, I I was, for instance, I was a big Karate Kid fan. I Uh I remember going to see Karate Kid Part 3. Yeah, it's bad. Somehow with my expectations up. (laughs) 
Why? Just, I don't know why. The Swank one? No, this is before that. No, that no. by That's then the next Karate Kid. <laughs> yeah. By then it was like we. I don't even have expectations. This no, was, no, no. Sure. It's all that one. Yeah, that sure. Was, yeah. I didn't. I, w- I wasn't sure that they did a third one with Ralph. Oh, they so did wait, a third one. Two is. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I feel like I should just know this. Two is the one where they go to China. Where they go to uh, Okinawa. Oh, yeah. so they go to Japan. Excuse yeah. me. So two is the one where they go to Japan. What's the third one? The third one is just like they come back and they it's start back at home. the club. And, yeah. and like a ch- like a- it's back home and there's a new rising like Cobra Kai bad boy and uh, Kreese who was like the leader of the uh, – <laughs> I know way too much about this world. Yeah. <laughs> but Kreese who was the leader of Cobra Kai and the first one – you know, had like resurfaced, and uh-huh. and and the biggest thing was uh, Danny Daniel Larusso and Mr. Miyagi just had like serious beef. So like the first one, I think the tagline was "that student to teacher," and then <laughs> it was like the second one was like "father to son," and then the third one was "man to man." Oh, man to man. Yeah. So is this so it's sort of similar to Anakin and Obi Wan's relationship? Yeah, you can see parallels. <laughs> I th- I'm pretty sure that they stole it from <laughs> the Karate Kid. <laughs> but did you watch Cobra Kai on YouTube? I actually have not. I've heard a lot about it, and I still yeah. want to check it out. Part of me is trying to reconcile with the idea that it's supposed to be comedy. Yeah, for the most it's like part. a half hour. It's not. I mean, I watched the pilot. It's not funny. It's not comedy. Like yeah. it's like it's it's sort it's, of a, yeah. it's like yeah. a, honestly, it's like an FX show. Huh. You know, like it's it's about not like always sunny. It's like uh, it's like, like an Atlanta or something. No, more like, like that? A, you're the worst. More oh, okay. Like a, that, okay. That like level or a better of, things or something like that. A better things like there are funny. Like the conceit is so funny, right? Right, but like it's it's, it's steeped in you know pathos. People like, love it. People really like it. I mean, like the, Dan, the Daniel stuff's not that great, but the Billy Zabka stuff is fucking awesome. I never saw the uh, the Jackie Chan Karate Kid. Oh, with, with, oh, with, uh, with Jaden. Was it good? Yeah. Um, there are aspects of it that are really good. Yeah. Um, I, I work with Jaden actually on the Get Down. Oh, that's right. Yeah. TV show. And uh, he's a really talented kid. Very talented kid. There are aspects I, I liked a lot about the Jackie Chan version where they actually took Mr. Miyagi's character, who in the first, the original Karate Kid, they hinted at certain like dark corners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was a World War II veteran. He had lost his wife. He had had, there were hints that he had like an alcoholic, you know, he had an alcohol problem. And these are all like kind of skimmed over in the original. In the Jaden Smith version, they they tackle it head on. Like, no, Jackie Chan really does have some issues that huh. he's got to work through. <clears throat> I found that to be interesting. You mm-hmm. don't find many mainstream American movies that deal with the World War II veteran from Japan who That's have true. dark no. issues. But then there are other aspects that were just kind of like victims of modern filmmaking. You know, I, right. I miss practical things like i miss puppet yoda you know from like yeah i don't cg yoda you know and the same thing here you know in the original karate kid he had the simple crane you know move at the end that everyone was like emulating by the way for the next 30 years yeah in the new one they you know basically jettison that for kind of like a cgi you know very complicated move and i guess in a way you know i can see what they were trying to do and trying to upgrade things but at the same time i just missed the practicality of just a person doing something something that's tangible um so it had a lot of that kind of stuff where it's like you know is bigger really better right that's interesting. No, the answer is no. no. And I think the, and I think the, I mean, I think the prequels really speak to that. I remember how excited people were about the idea that Yoda fight in in Attack of the Clones. Yep, where he was doing flips and shit. And you really, you know, it was 
whatever. Like it was cool, I guess. But I always think when I watch these, you know, uh, these lightsaber fights from the prequels and then from the new ones, it's how simple the original Obi Wan Kenobi, yep, Darth well, that's Vader why, one, how yeah. simple and effective it was, and even how simple and effective the, the Luke Darth Vader ones were. What's well, so, even great that like you, you said, Puppet Yoda. I loved when he shows up in Last Jedi. He's a puppet, right? Again, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it it just feels tactile. It feels like a thing that's in space with these people. Yes. Which is, I don't know. We're, it's we're, weird to yeah. say it about something that obviously is made of rubber and plastic. <laughs> yeah. But th- there seemed to be, he seemed to have a soul. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. the voice being a big deal, yeah. Frank Oz, and yeah. you know, just the the mastery of the puppetry. Honestly. Having something that's physically, tangibly there yeah. just makes a huge difference. Puppetry totally. has evolved too. You well, know? you can see it with uh, with Dark Crystal that's coming out, I guess, yes. next week on Netflix. You know, apparently, um, when the people went into pitch doing this, they pitched it as doing, you know, obviously CG, right. and it was Netflix that said, "Well, wasn't the original, you know, animatronics?" Yeah, and they were like, "Well, yeah, but like, well, then we're doing that." I mean, I, I, I. Got to hand it to them; they they get it. That's the first good thing I've heard you say about Netflix, <laughs> yeah. ever. But I, well, uh, not ever. But I mean, I, I do. I do. Th- I I credit them with understanding what people love about this thing. And yes, it just it costs ran, more. It, they just ran it through the uh, algorithm. Probably, yeah. yeah. The computer said, "Do it as stop motion." They're like, "All right, <laughs> gotta listen to the computer." Gotta listen to the computer. Uh, we talk about the best movie. Yeah. So, you know, I I sent you the list of. All, all the movies and what have you, and this was the one, the, one of the few that you picked. And I'm sort of curious as to, you know, why this one. I was looking at the list and was going, well, you know, you got a choice between the Sopranos, <laughs> <laughs> all of these like highly lauded, you know, awards-winning sure. uh, projects. And yeah. I saw the Best Man. I was like, that is the most unlikely <laughs> film that I would have expected to be on you guys' list. Well, it came out in '99. We're doing them it all. Did. It yeah. did. Yes, we're doing them all. Yeah. So I just became really curious. It's like, I got to have a conversation. I want to hear, like, I want to know what this conversation would be like to discuss yeah. the the best man. It's sure. so very different, I think, from the other things you guys have discussed. Yeah. I mean, the only other film, it's another T. Diggs film, The Wood, came out also in Correct. 99. Correct. Um, we did an episode um, with a friend of mine about The Wood as well. Um, but this feels very different to The Wood. Yes. Um, well, my interpretation of it, you know, The Wood... It was directed by uh, Rick Famayiwa, who mm-hmm. attended USC. Shout out to USC. There you go. <laughs> and um, actually co-written by an old professor of mine, Todd Boyd. I always saw that as a coming-of-age story. It was a little bit more about, um, you know, remembering kind of who your friends are and, you know, childhood and kind of, you know, what those bonds are as you grow up. Whereas the best man I, I compare to, like, the big chill meets Nancy Myers with black people. Like that's, 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 that's a, yeah, and it's, that's appropriate. Yeah. That feels right. So it's like, it's more of a gathering of um, individuals from disparate areas. And then, you know, you kind of have a, a mystery that you're playing throughout that will either bring them together closer or shatter the friendships, mm-hmm. completely different setup, even though they both had the misfortune of coming out in the same year, both of them having Tay Diggs yeah. mm-hmm. and both of them being about weddings <laughs> and yes. friends. They're the exact same yeah. kind of mo- uh, engine for each movie. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that too, but yeah. yeah. I mean, separated by, by, I mean, I think uh, Wood came out in February. This came out in October. Yes. Um, so they had some distance. But. At least in this movie, 
Tate Diggs only plays drunk a little bit. That's true. That's <laughs> because true. he's drunk pretty much in the entire oh the wood. Yeah, the wood is uh, entirely drunk. It's just, that it, was his thing. In 1999, it's like, this is just the drunk year. I'm just going to roll. Yeah. He had four rolls this year. This is actually yeah. the fourth movie we're he had doing. He go like as well. And he, had, right. and he had House on Haunted Hill. That's right. Right. So he had a he, big year. So we, and I, and <laughs> as, as listeners of the podcast know, I'm in love with Tate Diggs, <laughs> but not when he's. Drunk. <laughs> I think he's one of I think he's yeah. one of the worst drunk actors I've ever seen. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not good drunk in the No, book, no, he has this like and I you know I watched Set It Up too where he plays drunk a little bit. He, he's people still think he could play drunk. That's funny. What year was Set It Off? I'm sure No, not Set It Off. Oh okay. Set It Up, the Netflix movie. Oh, he wasn't in Set It Off. Okay. okay. No, no, no. Yeah. I knew every word of that movie. As <laughs> <laughs> the only as the the uh, the Blair Underwood's in that one. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't. <laughs> I mean, so I do think what's interesting about the, and and the Big Chill is a really great corollary because yeah. it does feel very sort of and the camaraderie is palpable in this movie. They feel genuinely like friends. Yes, which is harder than people think. Yeah, um, to really have a group of people that you actually believe have been friends for a really long time. Um, you know, the poker scene comes to comes to mind of them all feeling like there's history between these guys. They know where the bodies are buried with all of them and they know how to set each other off a little bit. And obviously Terrence Howard, you know, is maybe the most of that in terms of really trying to bother people and trying to get under their skin. He's an asshole. He's kind of dangerous in this. Yeah. He's kind of like, he's dangerous. Yeah. And they balance it out though, where they give him just enough heart or you're like, he's an asshole, but he's our asshole. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like he's on our side. You know, he's a guy that still cries at the wedding later. Yeah. Yeah. The poker scene, I think is, um, is kind of indicative of, you know, my philosophy on, on the best man at the time. We're coming out of, of an era where you had had like a lot of, Porn poverty, like you know, you yeah. had uh, movies that are, you know, some of which are well respected, like Boys in the Hood, which I still respect sure. to this day, and Menace to Society, mm-hmm. and like South Central, and a few others. These are all like mid nineties, right? Mm-hmm. So since the slot at the time, and we've come a long way since then, but in nineteen ninety nine, at that point, it's kind of like you get basically like two or three black movies every year, right? Meaning. Black meaning like majority black uh, cast. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like two or three of those slots every year. Like old school producers would have called them like race pictures back in the day. You know, Jeez. They, you'd have gotten them like one, you know maybe one a year until yeah. you got to the seventies and black exploitation and right. Quentin Tarantino loves that era like no other. But in nineteen ninety nine, you're coming out of a phase where like those one or two slots were were filled by like um, kind of like. South Central, you know, really tough background, um, family, father, son stories. So, or or kind of crime too. You know, you had definitely like crime. President, you had and th- yeah, and it and, and it kind of segged like after or, or sports like above the rim and yeah, or yeah. sports, which which is funny. I, I you had above the rim, which is kind of a hybrid where yeah, sports yeah. and you know like poverty porn to a certain exp- uh, to extent, and then there are other movies that I don't count, like uh, I think the the air up there with Kevin. Bacon I wouldn't, yeah, stuff like that. There's, <laughs> yeah, I'm not like yeah, I love Kevin Bacon, but I was like, yeah. dude, if there's one that we need yeah. to bury, like deep, yeah, deep, yeah. the center never, of never ever ever yeah. mention that you ever did that movie. <laughs> we'll be good. I know that was always a weird one in the Kevin Bacon game. Yeah, I, I, he meant well. Yeah. He meant well. I, I, I can see where it came from. I was like, you know, I'm gonna go to Africa. Yeah. I'm gonna discover this this 
seven foot kid, you know, it's a rough and, movie. It, yeah, it's it's like a liberal's dream in a way, but it's it's. Oh, yeah. I feel like it, it's, well, I feel like someone the, po- just the podcast put- where I talk well about the bad, the best man, <laughs> best man is a liberal's dream. Very much so. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so with the best man, I feel like you're you're coming out of an era where you had movies that were kind of dealing with really deep, kind of like you know, movies that are trying to say something, yes. right? And that those came off of Spike Lee films yeah. from the '80s. Spike produced this film. He did. His name is on the film. You kind of go in. I think for some, if you know nothing about it, by seeing his name and seeing that his cousin Malcolm directed it, with the expectation that okay, well maybe this is gonna you know have some, you know, particular thing to say about society. And it was a shift, I felt like, in 1999 where – and I'm coming back to that that poker game where you had a desire to kind of show, like, the polar opposite of, you know, poverty porn. You know, you wanted – the idea of showing, like, a shiny world where people are successful and the worst thing that they have to worry about is someone having slept with, you know, their, their friends, you know, uh, now, you know, now to be wife – in that case, though, which, what had been done, because there are only like one or two pictures, so to speak, per year to feature these actors, is every time you did a film, you had like the cream of the crop to choose from. You know, like if you did a black film that was about a gathering of friends, every single person yeah. in that film was like someone who had done a ton of work like on stage or commercials or, you know, so it was never that was an advantage where, you know, it wasn't like you got Tay Diggs and a bunch of no names. You got a bunch of actors who were all really familiar with each other, who had done a lot of work with each other already. You know, mm-hmm. Morris Chestnut had been in uh, several films and, you know, um, commercials and things like that since Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Terrence Howard had been around for many years. He was in Mr. Holland's Opus at, mm-hmm. at one was point. Was he really? He yeah. was. Weirdly enough, though, playing like a, a 16 year old kid is like a 30 year old man. <laughs> that was weird. That was really everything he's ever played is as a 30 year old man. Pretty much. That's amazing. But you had all of these actors, though, that knew each yeah. other. And so when you got down to the poker game, yeah. you know, there was a familiarity, I think, professionally where they yeah. all knew each other well. I think there was a genuine friendship. And which you feel across. Yes. And then, and then a, a couple of them are in uh, another Spike Lee movie that he produces the next year, Love and Basketball, which is a great yes. movie. Yes. Um, Gina Prince by the Wood. Yeah. Much respect. It's a really, yeah. really good movie. Who's um, in it aside from Sinead Latham? Um, That's Omar. Omar Epps. Yeah, yeah. I that, thought there was somebody else, but maybe I'm, I'm mistaken. I thought there was somebody else. In Love and Basketball, I think it's Dennis Haysbert, who I ended up loving in Heat as well. Yeah. And um, Omar Epps plays his son. Omar goes to USC. And mm-hmm. I think Love, they both go to USC, actually. Love and Basketball is an amazing movie. It's great. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's, he doesn't, I mean, we talked about this, Aaron and I talked about this a little bit before we uh, started recording, but Spike doesn't really produce much that he doesn't direct. Um, the most recent credit that I found was um, D. Reese's Pariah, which he produced. Yes, yes. Um, but that's kind of it, which is interesting because um, you, you, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a powerhouse of this industry and I kind of wish he just, you know, use that more and use that clout to sort of help other young filmmakers. I'm not holding it against them. That's it's a pretty surprising. good threesome, though. If no, you, it's, yeah, it's three great films. I mean, I'm not, no, 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 three great films, but three great filmmakers, yeah, right? If yeah. you say, I mean, Malcolm, Malcolm Lee's his cousin, so I guess he probably had to do that. <laughs> 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 sure. But the but other two. Gina Prince-Blythewood yeah. and D. Reese. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what's the... I just heard D. Reese is doing some, like, incredible... Has some incredible project coming up like this year. I'll, yeah, I'll find it. But um, yeah, it's, she's it's, she's well respected. That film, I think, gains more and more pride. I mean, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. gains more and more fans every year. Yeah, it had a weird kind of. It had a weird. It came out at a weird time because yeah. it was like 
six months or so after Precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I, I do think like it, it had a weird little waiting effect off that movie. Got lost in that, but in that uh, sort of it's a better movie. The wake, I think. yeah. Um, so I'm going to do the synopsis of The Best Man just for our listeners who yeah. might not have watched uh, The Best Man. Um, after writing a soon-to-be best-selling novel, writer and committed bachelor Harper Stewart, played by Tay Diggs, attempts to hide the fact that his saucy new book is loosely based on the lives and loves of his tight-knit group of friends. Harper is set to be best man at his friend Lance's, Morris Chestnut's wedding, and all of his friends will be in attendance. When an advanced copy of the book makes its way into the hands of his ex-flame, Jordan Armstrong, played by Nia Long, Harper attempts to keep it under wraps. The Best Man opened on October 22nd, 1999 in first place with $9 million against Bringing Out the Dead, Bats, and Three to Tango. Quite the weekend. Uh, It would go on to make $34 million on a $9 million budget. It has 72% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 86% from audiences. You know, it's it's thirty four million on a nine million dollar budget. Yeah, it's a big it, hit. It earned uh, the film a sequel. It did. Best Man, well, Best Man Holiday. Eventually, eventually. I, but but some of that, my understanding is, and it's the same thing, by the way, for the third film that's supposed to be coming. Yeah, out. they're mm-hmm. trying to make a third one now. So it's, uh, schedules scheduling. Thirty four million on a nine million dollar budget. Yeah. Um, the holiday sounded real sad, by the way. Aside, it I, is. I, I mean, I want to. I kind of want to say surprisingly, the like, whoa! I, it's you know, really mod. It's, it's like, like in, in the same way you went to see the first one. You're going, all right, Spike Lee, did, uh, you know, produced this. Maybe it's going to be a message. And like, no, 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 this is very much about like sexy people, kind of like yeah. being sexy. Tay Diggs getting drunk yeah. and trying to pull yeah. that off a second time. Yeah. The second one, <laughs> the second one, it was like you're going in. And you're like, okay, well, I feel like I'm going to get the same, right? Sexy yeah. people, kind of like you know, shenanigans yeah. ensue, and Cancer. that ends up yes. <laughs> Cancer like smacks you in the <laughs> face. Cancer bomb. Who, who has cancer? Nia. She dies. Oh, no. no, not Nia. Not Nia. It's not Nia. Oh, Mia. The Mia, the sorry. character. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Nia Long. It's Nia Long. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. Oh, Mia sorry. is the the oh the the Morris Chestnut's. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. Morris Chestnut's wife. Um. So it ends up being well. It's she's great actress, but she she's the least famous of them. Yeah, that's so what I was, was thinking. A, yeah, right. she's kind of the red shirt ensign of the group. <laughs> So. The red shirt. <laughs> Sounds amazing. She is a great Monica. Her Monica Cal. Yeah, Monica Calhoun. Monica Calhoun. She's a yes. she is a great actress. Yeah. Um, Everybody in this is really good. Like everyone's. Like it's just it's a really stacked bunch. Well, I mean, yeah, of, yeah, it's a great Aaron's, cast. To what yeah. Aaron's saying, yeah. I mean, it seems pretty obvious. But I just want to talk about. Yes, like, yes, sorry. Is there any uh, explanation other than overt racism why more of these movies weren't made when um, they make four times <laughs> yeah. or five times their budget regularly? I mean, I know like Screen Gems basically exists right be- up on that model to yeah. some extent, but outside of that, it seems like a pretty clear and obvious way to at least take take a few take a few shots. Well, but Malcolm Lee's career has has been built. To a certain degree, on this, right? I mean, Malcolm Girls Trip is, is Malcolm him as well. Malcolm's career has been a bit of a roller coaster. Okay. He's on, he's he's at the top right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it, you know, it, this is we're talking almost twenty years between girls, twenty years of of kind of singles and doubles between this and Girls Trip, right? Um, um, I mean, I would say to, to answer that question, it's you know, it's always been a frustrating question, I think, for a lot of filmmakers to answer. In essence, you have films that cost a dime to make, but you can almost always guarantee you're going to make 25 cents on them. Mm-hmm. That's not the biggest haul that you're going to get. So for some, I think defense would be is that, you know, I'd rather, you know, make a huge splash than to make several smaller investments that are going to do well. That would be for some the defense. 
for many though, you know, you feel like if you're an upstart studio, and this goes to TV as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a whole conversation to be had about the WB and the UPN, how it existed at one point. You had a guaranteed well, audience. Fox you decided too. to Fox as well uh, to a certain extent. Fox always had a mix, right? But you you had networks that if you're starting off and you want a guaranteed audience, guaranteed they're going to stick with you. That audience is always there. Why that audience gets forsaken, you know. I do think a lot of times it comes down to is it's the only color is not green in Hollywood, despite what everybody says. I think the way people make money has a lot to do with the business decisions they make. You know, um, if you can reach, in theory, a huge mainstream audience across the world, I think many try to go for that and would rather fail in trying to go for that than going for the certain of having an audience that you know is going to be there, but perhaps with content that you may not fully understand yourself. I'll throw something else out too. Agreeing with all that, just kind of a, a sister point to what you just made. Um, there is a when when I worked in Entourage, there was this idea that the reason that we were not taken care of the way other shows were was because the execs didn't like talking about it at um, parties, right? Like very simple. They didn't like talking about it at parties and at at, at dinners with fancy people. And even though we were, you know, regularly, you know, among their like one or two biggest ratings hits, we were always on this kind of weird bubble and they were always kind of trying to have some reason to to cancel us. And eventually they did when there was a regime, a regime change, despite the fact that we weren't trying to be canceled. We didn't like, you know, go gently into the night. It's, what do you think it was about the show to curiosity? Entourage? Yeah. Oh, I mean, was Entourage like the quote unquote coolness factor. No, no, it was never cool. Entourage isn't the same as this. Entourage, yeah. is, Entourage is, is. I wasn't. I was just curious. Entourage. Me. The reason we got. I'm not trying to like. I'm not trying to stand on some kind of high moral horse for Entourage. Yeah. I just know what we were selling. Mm-hmm. We were basically selling lifestyle porn that like um, verged into misogyny and some things that were a little uncomfortable for people. Right. So I understand why, but I also to you know kind of to your point. The green didn't matter at the end of the day. It was HBO and they had a certain image they wanted to uphold and they much, much preferred having mm-hmm. at the time we're talking about like the big loves and, you know, emergence of girls and those mm-hmm. kind of shows. So I think, you know, there is a kind of far, far more malignant version of this, mm-hmm. which is. You know, I don't want to go to my dinner parties and talk about the best man. I'd rather go to my dinner parties and talk about what, another movie I made for nine million dollars. Made thirty four. That like, I don't know what, what, what an yeah, example I'm, of that. Just, but you yeah. know, you understand what I'm saying yeah. to, to that extent. Um, I don't yeah. know. Do you feel like it's changed at all, or do you feel like? Well, I I think that it has with things that have been not only labeled as successes, but have been labeled as cool. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you get and within like we're just talking about just within the last five years, you know, you get Fruitville Station and you get uh, Moonlight and you get Black Panther, mm-hmm. you know, you have very different types of films, but each of which has kind of made its own very indelible mark on, mm-hmm. you know, on the industry. Commercial success with Black Panther, you know, a certain form of cachet and artistic cred with Moonlight. Fruitvale is more still in that model of the early 90s. We have a message, you know, to... to or when they see us as well. Maybe. When they see us as well, which is... TV and, stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Atlanta would fall yeah. in that Atlanta would, well. and, but, and stuff like Atlanta actually does a lot to start to push it in a way where, 
you kind of expect, even though they're done well, you you expect like the Fruitvale stations and the when they see us, right? Because that fits the mode of what yeah. you expect. It's like a, it's a movie full of black people. I think a lot of times a mainstream audience is going to go, all right, I'm, I'm ready to be depressed, but my eyes are going to be open, right? Mm-hmm. With something like Atlanta, it completely flips you on your head. It's like you have no idea what you're about to see. You yeah. think you know. <laughs> yeah. But you're about to go in yeah. and you're about to see some stuff that actually reflects other aspects of the same culture, um, but just with a different voice. Now in this era, we have we have that more than we've ever had, like by far within the past you know five years or so. There was a time where that if you had pitched Atlanta in 1999, you wouldn't have got past the first meeting. It just wouldn't have fit what the expectation would be. In in that era, you could get away with, all right, is this a movie about somebody's dad who got shot, or is this a movie about like pretty people, you know, getting together? That's pretty much the two lanes. Or or is Eddie Murphy starring? Yeah, or it's a movie where it's a it's a Eddie Murphy or Eddie Murphy surrogate. You could get Martin Lawrence, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time, I think Chris Rock was still trying to do movies, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Those were the three lanes you had. Like, there was no... Or Will it, Smith, I guess, to a certain degree, maybe? He was just starting to break out, I think. I mean... I mean Wild Wild du- West was 99. I mean, I... Uh, well, then he was maybe starting to... <laughs> break down. <laughs> Independence Day then had been a few years it feels before. Like a, right? Yeah, it feels like a bit of a different thing. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get... <laughs> I, I, I don't want I don't want to show my whiteness too much. I don't want to like mess. <laughs> show it, show it. It's already there. I see it. I, I see it. No, no. That's why I wore a sweatshirt with a hood. You can't see me. It's a North Face hat. I'm wearing a North Face hat. Own that shit. And a cool attention t-shirt. That's there you go. That's so, amazing. Um, no, Will Smith seems like uh, Hollywood always kind of put him in a different bucket. Um, then, sure, sure. then Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Um, here's my theory on that. Even though it's the same thing with with film slots, there is, you know, there was a time way before them when you had like there was one slot that was Sidney Poitier. That was it, yeah, right. and you maybe had funny slot with Bill Cosby, and then that mold kind of like held true through the '80s where. There was one slot. I mean, there's Richard Pryor then, mm-hmm. you know, and then he, you know, kind of went his way. And then Eddie Murphy took over that slot where it became interesting in the 90s is that the dramatic slot had been kind of vacant for a few decades because after Sidney Poitier, there is no equivalent in the 80s. I dare you to try to find it. There's no equivalent in the 80s of like the serious All right, I'm gonna do it. black lead. There who, is none. There is none. <laughs> like Lou, Lou Gossett got like an Oscar for Officer and a Gentleman. Supporting yeah. in like 80s. Supporting. And by the way, what followed up was like Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle. Like and and Iron Eagle too. Yeah. Right. And then he was in... Um, Very important, uh, you know, like... A, serious. To, yes. And sadly, I I know that he was also in Jaws 3D, so <laughs> which I just watched. Um, really? Yeah, my kids are obsessed with Jaws right now. Great. So, uh, all right, Jaws 4 though. That's that's the one. The Revenge. The Revenge. The Revenge. You know who started that? Michael Caine. That's Mike, right. Michael. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Michael Caine. We're watching. Yeah, we'll watch uh, it next. So, so Lucas Jr. Blue was also yeah. one of my favorite movies ever. Digs down, but that was a little. Yeah, yeah. But don't get me wrong. Definitely not a serious dramatic black lead. Right. Is Denzel the next? Is in the nineties. So Denzel the 90s, came right? up in the nineties, and then basically off of Denzel, you had a new slot that was open that Will basically created, which is the black male true movie star. Like right. Denzel who was. Who could get nominated as well? But twenty mil, yeah. But be the biggest star on the face of the planet yeah. that had not existed before then. 
Yeah, it does feel like well, in a dramatic the, sense, right? In a dramatic I do sense, think that yes. there was a period of time where Eddie Murphy really was the biggest. Like, oh yeah, in- no, that's hands down. Okay, the funny slot was definitely firmly there. I mean, that's that's even before Eddie. Again, I mean, Richard Pryor was getting huge paydays before Eddie. You know, really took it to the next level. And that slot continues to be inherited. You know, when you have Chris Rock tried to take it over and Kevin, Kevin Hart, Hart, you know, yeah. has it now. That slot is always there. It's been there. It's a tried and true, you know, formula. But that dramatic slot is a pretty recent phenomenon. All right. I want – And he it, he struggles too a little bit in terms of getting that. I mean like he has the one-two punch of Independence – Will Smith. Will? Like he's got Independence Day, Men in Black, huge, right? I just mean in terms of he has some dramatic movies that don't connect. Yeah, but who doesn't? Like like Seven Pounds? Well, you he, mean uh, Legend of Bagger Vance? I mean... That was a misstep. Yeah. But... that That is his air up there. It's like... <laughs> air bury that one. Yeah. Very deep. I'm not... I'm not... You know I'm not that, dogging yeah. Will Smith. I'm just... I'm speaking to the fact that, like, it's not... Yeah. It's not a total ascension. The, the dramatic there's some, road... There's some bumps. Yeah. And, I mean, and, you know, Tom Hanks has the terminal. Sure, like, sure. The, the yes, dramatic yes, road is... A, it's a very tough road to... Yeah. to To go down because, like... Eddie's always going to be Eddie. Like it's very, it's he's always going to do his Eddie yeah. thing. It's like you know we did Blue Streak, and that movie only stays afloat because Martin Lawrence is so funny. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and Luke Wilson's great too. Luke Wilson's amazing. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> um, Luke, Luke went through like a whole period where he was like the likable dude. You know, if you need a likable yeah. dude, like you just yeah. use him. He, he yeah. really, he really breaks it. Wait, but I, I, I'm still, I, I still, I, I, I certainly can see the point that there was no, like. First choice black actor, black dramatic actor in the eighties. But who was like top of the? Who was top of the death chart? You know, like I'm a Mets fan. Well, if I've you been, had to choose, I've, I've had I've had seasons. I've had seasons where like our best pitcher was like Jay So. Yeah. So yeah. I know that someone's got to start opening days. So. That's rough. If we're starting from the standpoint of com- compare anything to being a Mets fan, that's that's a tough. One. <laughs> Are you a Royals fan? I'm a Royals fan. I was yeah. there at the series when uh well but you guys had good pitching though that year. That was the only reason we were there. Yeah. 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 That was that were you in KC or were you in New York? I was in New York. Yeah, I was too. Yeah, I was there and in game fact three we were probably there together. We yes, yeah, so it was game three and game four. Syndergaard started the game I was Syndergaard, Syndergaard not only started, I got I got I somehow the tickets that I purchased, one ticket that I purchased. Um I was in a section surrounded by Syndergaard fans. And there was one guy who had dressed up <laughs> As Thor, you know, because you I know was, who Syndergaard is a, a pitcher <laughs> who looks like Thor. Oh, yeah. okay. He's, he's six, 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 long blonde hair. Okay, yeah. Imagine, uh, yeah, Chris Hemsworth if he played baseball. That that okay. was there. It wasn't his pitcher. Okay, um, but there, I was surrounded by a bunch of people who had on Thor costumes. It felt like a mix of Comic Con, Thunderdome, <laughs> yeah. and a baseball game, and you know, trying to like mimic, you know, hitting me in the head with hammers. Now, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. <laughs> Class acts, these guys yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, this, but because there are Mets fans, I have to admit, I, I didn't take it nearly as personal as I would have if they were a team that had, like, you know, like a Yankees, huge history. Yeah, the Yankees. Some kind of, we're sad as shit. <laughs> I hate to say it, but like at the end of the day, I was like, but they're Mets fans. It's like, you know, and the thing they about have the to world, live with this. The thing about the Royals is the Royals are also sad as shit. Yes. Like, Duke, yes very much so. I understand the look. Sad as shit. I understand. It was, it was kind of like no matter what, both fan bases understand that this is probably the best it's ever yeah. going to get. That's fantastic. I, they, there was no. That was the year you guys beat the Jays, right? Yes. Yeah. There was yes. no. Yes. Stark time. Well, you guys deserved it though. That, you, yeah. you. you 
<laughs> not sad as shit. No, Whatever. but there's yeah, there's. there's... <laughs> I, all right, so all right, but yes. there must be there must be a first starter from the eighties. There must be. A, uh, a, it's it's it, see, uh, it's tough. I'm, it's like you you had like you had people that just don't fit it. Like they tried to to make Carl Weathers like a, an action hero at one point. Yeah. It was Action Jackson. He had done Predator. Rocket. And it was, of course, Apollo Creed, but there's no way you're ever going to buy him as like the, you know, the serious attorney who has like a health issue. He's, he just wasn't that dude. <laughs> Lou Gossett was, had the chops, but didn't quite have like, you know, the supposed, I guess, it factor, yeah. whatever that is, however, you know, it's defined. Um, I'm trying to find it's, a list of this. It's, it's pretty bare. And also, that's the era before you had like really sophisticated dramas that were kind of being cranked out you know on the regular uh, that was the action era and that's not only the action era that's the, that's the action era where you had to be like beefed up yeah you know, you're stallone or you're schwarzenegger you could not be keanu reeves with a gun in the 80s is no. it danny glover no because danny glover <laughs> danny glover was like he was the guy that was like fourth fiddle in um in witness you know he's or yep. the bad guy you know like he's no, that's true i was thinking like color purple but that's that's 88 i mean that's, that's 88 yeah, and yeah. and also he's kind of the bad guy yeah, now, he right? you he know he's absolutely the bad guy now. yeah so it's yeah. um it's he was already too old for that shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so, it is it's it's really that's really weird that's the era that i grew up in so you i was you know you were looking for that 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 wasn't there well, all right so to bring it back to the best man yeah. sorry so it was the era of you know ridiculously jacked movie stars yeah sure and it was also the era in my opinion of like these when harry met sally romantic comedies yes and there was a long period of time that kind of extends to today where leads of color not just black actors but leads of of color were not presented in romantic roles and that's why you know always my maybe in 2000 and crazy rich Asians, Asians, but in 2019 is like considered to be so revolutionary yeah i know because like i i think that i think there hadn't been a a sex scene between two asian americans on film before always be my maybe not not in america at least yeah i mean asian americans right yeah, yeah here's um that's crazy. I mean, you want to talk about, yeah, pretty sobering numbers. When you talk about Asian representation, um, not to get into, like, you know, other groups, Indian representation. I don't know if there's ever been a mainstream Latino, like, romantic comedy in America. With two Latino leads? With two Latino leads. Them, yeah. Like, those numbers are, are pretty, they're, they're pretty crazy. That's only a recent thing where now people are realizing that, A, number one, there's an audience there. Like, mm-hmm. people will actually watch it, you know. And then number two, having the desire, that, you know, at least some people to actually capitalize on it. It's always been there. But, you know, I think as you alluded to, it's always been how do you want to make your money? Mm-hmm. How do you want to make your money? And only recently have people started to, to feel like if I want to compete in a very crowded, increasingly crowded field, that audience is always there. Why try to go after the same piece of the pie, you know, when I can when I can get this done? Um mm. You know, always be my maybe is kind of long overdue, you know, but that comes about because of Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians, huge fight to get that made. You know, mm-hmm. you had to have a book that did, you know, extremely well. You had to have the right auspices behind it to get it made. Before that, it was Joy Luck Club, you know, many, yeah. many years ago. We got The Farewell now, ago. which also the feels farewell. like that's yeah. because Crazy Rich Asians happens. Both those movies take – there's something about both those movies taking place in a foreign culture. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's kind of a sister to the snow falling at Cedars, right? Okay. So we 
we're going to learn about foreign cultures, but go through our, you know, almost white surrogate characters. I don't really mean to say that about like Constance Wu and Aquafina. That's not really what I mean, but um, it's really the idea of, to again, going to the snow falling and cedars conversation, showing people in their element in America. Yeah. And that's true with the best man, too. I think, I think the. The the kind of one of the first things you said, Aaron, about um, you know the, there's all this poverty porn going on for a long time, and ignoring the fact that like the majority of all people of color in this country, black people in this country, aren't living in poverty and are just having normal lives, doing fairly normal things like being in love triangles, right, right, and playing poker and having jobs, and yeah. it's almost like I mean I've always felt like you you need room for it all. That's what's great about right now is you're starting to expand on the types of stories that can be told. You can make, um, in essence, people more three dimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, I I say poverty porn, partly disparaging, but also with a lot of respect. Some of my favorite movies are movies that are that deal with poverty. You know, um, my perspective a lot of times when I'm telling stories comes from that you know perspective of telling stories about people who live in poverty. But if that's the only thing, yeah. if you have one or two slots and that's the only thing that you're putting out to the world, then, yeah. you know, a lot of times that can be pretty limiting. What's nice now is that you can have Atlanta exist with Insecure, mm-hmm. exist with Black Panther, exist with uh, Always Be My Maybe, exist, you know, and there was a time where that was just in the time when Best Man comes, you know, came out, you know, those slots were just extremely limited. So. What it became is like there there was a real responsibility then with if you're only going to get really one shot at this, one at bat, if you will, what are you going to do with it? You kind of have to be – you have a responsibility that maybe like Paul Thomas Anderson wouldn't have. If he wants to make a movie about, you know – Whatever. Whatever. He's going to get to make it. Yeah. yeah. And if he fails, if for whatever reason he makes a movie about Boy Scouts going on a search, you know, and it fails, it, it's not the one movie yeah. about – you know, kids or coming of age that has to represent that. And therefore, if it fails, that's just that is what that experience is for a lot of people. Whereas stuff like this with the best man, there is still a little bit of that with Malcolm having to kind of like try to encapsulate like, you know, within the the characters that he Mm -hmm. presents, the friends, what are the different shades of like black manhood? Um, You know, if you notice, no one is... People are flawed, but to a certain extent, you know, can you really go to the the place of, you know, you know, characters that have very questionable decisions that are made or, um, you know, I'm trying to think about the the, um, the film um, with the heroin addicts, um, the notorious one, the baby on the ceiling. Oh, train spotting. Train spotting. You know, you, you wouldn't have had the black version of that because with that one slot. You're not going to want to go there. And you would get crucified, you know, in the press. It would have been kind of an attack of what are you using your platform for? So. It's just a, a different era, you know, and, and kind of an era that I think ended up helping us to get to where we are right now. But the the best man still felt the brunt of a lot of that, a lot of responsibility. That that What you're talking about, actually, so I'm going to read a little portion of the New York Times review, which actually brings something up that I think is interesting. Um, it says, uh, directed by Malcolm D. Lee, the best man is another demonstration that current movies about upscale black characters have much more traditional values than ones about catty uh, white teenagers. Marital fidelity is a main issue since it involves the imminent marriage of a once philandering star athlete, played by Morris Chestnut, to his longtime sweetheart. Now that he's getting ready to... Renounce his wild past. Mention is made of those honeys at the Cotton Bowl. This guy likes boasting about his fiance's virtue. One of the film's minor messages is that it's dangerous to marry a jealous football player. But its major <laughs> message 
is an affirmation of marriage fidelity and religious faith with an enjoyable group of groomsmen to hash over these issues. Meanwhile, there is time to tease the literary Harper as Richard Wrong or Langston Snooze and, of course, to party. The film's uh, cure for many ills is celebrating and dancing. Despite the story's underlying wholesomeness, it's thus an excuse to work lap dancers into the plot. I think that there's something interesting about the traditional values that exist in the film as well. Um, and I wonder whether or not that also helps connect with a somewhat larger audience. Be- before we go there, I do want to point out that I felt like that entire review was speaking to Aaron's point about the expectations mm-hmm. and the weight 100%. on this film. Mm-hmm. An excuse to work lap dancers into yeah. the plot? Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen a bachelor party without lap dancers in it. There's not yeah. an excuse. You don't need an excuse to show a bachelor party for a movie about a wedding. So you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't see yeah. Agreed. that. Yeah. I, no, I do. I do. I wasn't agreeing with no, this I know, review. No, I was no, just no. reading it. To, I know. To I just of, wanted to point that out. Something, that's something you wrote, Phil. I know. <laughs> word for word. Janet Maslin. Did, Janet Maslin? <laughs> she lived in my town growing up. As if my wife isn't showing already. Yeah. Um, so she <laughs> – so uh, so that's, that's that's one thing I wanted to say. The second, I mean, feel free to go ahead and ask your question now. <laughs> well, I just I, I do I do wonder whether or not there is something there is something traditional a little bit about this movie that that it is sort very of much. it is it's it is making some I don't want to say value judgments, but it's making some judgments. Oh, no, very much so. So here's the thing: like I admire the film on a lot of different levels. You know, 1999 was a year in which my wife and I got married, mm-hmm. so two movies about black people getting married in the same year. We, we had a personal connection to sure. both the wood um, and the best man. Um, now those weddings were a lot more lavish than we could afford. But the thing that I think, you know, overall in, in um, watching these movies, these were movies also done by men, you know, teams of men. And you do see that, you know, as much as I respect, you know, the best man. I enjoyed it and loved the characters and camaraderie. The highlights are the male bonding, the poker game. Totally agree. You know, the um definitely the the bachelor party, you know, the idea of um, you know, um of of in essence crossing or or um breaking bro code, you know, having slept with, you know, your you know, your boy's fiance who's about to marry, all of those things are done from a very male point of view. If there is a shortcoming, and my wife pointed out at the time, my wife who was my fiance at the time was definitely the female characters leave a lot to be desired in that particular film. There's a difference in that film getting made in 99 and and it getting made now, you know, in, in the era of, um, you know, of, um, being woke, so to speak. And, you know, I feel like the strongest character, female character is Robin, maybe. I mean, not to say that, that Nia's character isn't strong, quote unquote, but like there's something, well, here's the thing. It's like it's one thing is the treatment of female characters, which are they're pretty thin for the most yes. part. You know, they're just they're all they all look great. You know, but you kind of have like, you know, you have Mia's character who you know is kind of the the center of it all, but doesn't have like as much of a layered personality. I think that's given to her as as the guys. You know, yeah. She obviously made a mistake in the past and feels bad about it. You know, but then you have like. Nia Long's character kind of has a pretty consistent goal throughout the film. And, yes. you know, you learn a little bit about kind of what she does and kind of what her own desires are, things like that. Overall, I think, you know, when I look at it, it's, it's like, you know, there was a difference in the way that film was made in 99 and the way, say, the follow-up to that film, The the Best Man. Which is 2013, I think? That was 2013. 
if you watch those two and the treatment of the female characters in particular, and they're both directed by a man, by yeah. Malcolm Lee, mm-hmm. you can see where there's been growth in his storytelling and sure. probably in his life um, in that not only is it the female characters and how they're treated, but also the males and their attitudes toward the females, mm-hmm. you know? So it's interesting. And going back and watching like the best man, there are things that I forget because in 99, it was no big deal, but now you'd be, it, there would probably be alarm bells, you know? So, for, you know, the characters played by Morris Chestnut um, or, or football player, very traditional guy, right? Very mm-hmm. traditional to the point where his point of view is, is, not even bordering on double standards. It's a, it's, it's it's a, a fucking double standard. <laughs> yeah. the, the dude wants to marry a virgin. That's what he wants. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. wants to marry a virgin so that he can cure his own womanizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's very real. I know a lot of my friends who had the same uh-huh. point of view and, and got married for the same reasons. Most many are now divorced because of that too. <laughs> But w- when you look at that, it's like that's that's coming from very much his perspective. You know, her perspective on that, I always wondered about. It's like how you d- never get it, right? Really. Right. And it's not really interrogated or really kind of condemned in any no. other way, right? But- or at least examined. You know, like I, you know, for some people, I think it works. That that works. Like in real life, it mm-hmm. can work. Okay. And 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 but that's to each his own. Not to say that that would be my choice, but I, there are couples that I know that that's their setup and that's their thing and they're cool with it and and. Some of that comes from a very traditional religious background of, you know, the guys, the head of the household and all of that kind of stuff. That's its own deep rabbit hole conversation that would be, you we'll know, for something go else. go in a couple minutes. <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> I'm, so, not, I'm not even kidding. I'm, I, I'm, I'd say let's do I'm it. I'm going to religion in a second. Let's do it. It's a huge underline of this. And again, I think some of that is the time in which it was made. 1999, you get, again, one crack at this. You get one of the three sure. slots for the year. <clears throat> and your audience at the time, you know, you're figuring is going to be majority African-American, um, which is, you know, I think what people always forget about it can be socially kind of a conservative yeah. audience, you know, um, conservative in certain ways. And then in other ways, obviously wanting things like civil rights, you know, and troublesome, you know, things like equal rights and stuff like that. But in this regard, when it comes to religion, when it comes to traditional views towards, you know, marriage and that kind of thing, at that time, in 99, the audience of that film was going to be geared towards, you're talking about young adults and you're talking about aunts and grandmothers, you know, that message is very much in line with what they would expect. So that character kind of embodies that, I think, you know, when you see it. At the same time, now you fast forward, you have a different generation of aunties and grandmothers now. And I think it would probably be treated a little bit differently if you had it now. You'd want to hear more of what Mia has to say. Sure. Or, you know, call him a little bit on at least a discrepancy mm-hmm. in his views. Sure. And the hypocrisy and, of his views. And the hypocrisy of his views. And at the same time, though, if but if you're treating it as a balanced conversation, because you could tilt it completely the other way where it's just mm-hmm. you're an asshole and, blah, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But I think what's interesting is, is if you hear – where that his point of view came from. It's obviously a point of view that was out there that was legitimate. Mm -hmm. You know, where did it come from? Why did he, you know, actually feel that way? And to me, the interesting nuanced conversation would be is, you know, what are the the legitimate kind of elements that led, you know, Mm -hmm. to him having this point of view to feel like the cure for womanizing, first of all, is having one woman, which I don't know if that ever truly works. Um, It does. 
Does it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel like you guys are as, evidence as, of well, that. As one of the great okay. womanizers of all time. One of the great cured womanizers. I, I know every single, every single true womanizer, I've, and I've had good friends that are to this day. I told them when they got married, it's like, that's something that is kind of something you have to deal with kind of like, you know, yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's no individual, one individual that's going to come in and fix it. Like, you have to kind of, but that's, you know, that's its own conversation too. Um, but those views, those traditional mm-hmm. views, I feel like were in place because of that time period, because of the audience that, you know, it was, the film was geared towards. And that's one of the, that's one of the shortcomings I would say of the film at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it did a lot of positives as far as again, the world, nice, shiny, very cool, sexy, fun. And on the other hand, um, some things that now are a bit dated. I think, can I say something really quickly? Yeah. Um, just because I, I wanted to, I was just looking at at you're talking about the the one shot. You know what I mean? Like the, the the one slot that you get. And I was just looking at Universal's releases in 1999, right. just to sort of get a, a a little bit of uh, context for their landscape. And it's interesting because they actually do have um, they have Life that comes out in 1999. Uh, they have Bowfinger. They have The Best Man, The Bone Collector, and The Hurricane. Um, so, I mean, two Denzel movies and two Eddie Eddie movies. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that they were definitely, I would argue maybe more than any studio in 99. I don't know, but it feels like they were sort of. So name those movies again. Life. Life directed by Jonathan Demme. Uh, Ted Demme, but yeah. Sorry, Tim Demme. Uh, Bowfinger. Direct, Frank Oz. Directed by Frank Oz. Uh, Best Man, directed by Malcolm Lee. Lee. Yeah. So that's in a slot. That's, yeah. Uh, Bone Collector, uh, Philip Noyce. Noyce. Yeah. And then The Hurricane, which is Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. So I, I, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and I would say this there's one very important detail with that. Yeah. Remember, in defining what are called, you know, so called, you know, black films, meaning a majority black yeah. cast, only one of those has that. That's The Best Man. Yeah. No, for sure. Bone Collector well, is, is. too. In life, although this, that's Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah. And I put that in Martin its own Martin, category. Yeah. Eddie and Martin. It's funny because I was, I'm working with Oba Baba Tunde, who was in that film. Yeah. And we were literally just talking about life just yesterday. Oh, really? Are how, you working on SWAT? Yeah. Oh, cool. He plays, uh, Shamar Moore's father and, and on the, the show. That's so awesome. we're at, we had a long extended conversation about life in particular yeah. just yesterday yeah. because we were talking about how the marketing for life was a little bit, it was tough. Mess. You had two of the funniest guys in the entire world. But it's it's a drama. Yeah. Yes. And so when that film was introduced, it was you know the no matter what Universal did, the expectation was going to yeah. be oh this is going to be hilarious, and then you get in and you realize it's a film about yeah. you know the- it's a I I had no idea I had not seen it in ninety nine. We did an episode on it uh, with Kenny's friend, and uh, it's a really good it's it's a really good movie. Um, it's I don't what, say that surprised. It's just not what well, I expected. I, it to I be. was surprised because I thought that it was a giant gay panic joke <laughs> from the marketing. <laughs> yes, right. Sure, no, I sure, did. Sure, I thought sure. that's what it was. I and and I remember that. I, I and it's not. It's an inc- it's mm-hmm. truly an incredible movie. We really we really uh, gave it. I, gave yeah, it some I, great I was reviews. really I was really taken with and it. It's my favorite Martin Lawrence performance like ever. He's really good. He's in that really movie. good. There's a moment I was just pointing out to Oba, you know, yesterday. But there's a moment where towards the end, where Martin in his old age has gotten released, and he's kind of like looking at his face in the reflection yeah, of, yeah. A, of yeah. the window, and he realizes how much time has passed, mm-hmm. yeah. how much time he's lost to prison. And I thought that's one of the is probably my favorite image of that film, but also one of the the images that if I had to sum up 
an image that that seems to encapsulate the experience of losing time in prison that's one to me at the very very top that that where i get it when you talk about the the film life that image really really kind of hit home but going back to what you guys were mentioning as far as those releases were concerned you know you got eddie murphy and martin lawrence yes like you know you release that no matter what right and that's a majority black cast because i'm sure i think both of them probably insisted on that as well well it had to be given the given and, the, yeah given the story well it, it doesn't have to be because it's prison but i think it's you know a black prison i mean it was and that was and i think that was insisted upon though oh, okay. yeah that that it was a black prison in the south in particular and you know that whole thing and they play with racial dynamics in that bokeem woodbine has a storyline where he knocked up like the yeah. warden's daughter and the baby comes out and you know mm-hmm. has curly hair and all of that stuff which is and it's a good it is a good film the others though and this is where we we get into like the difference in the film industry like it had graduated is you know bone collector i would not qualifies as a quote-unquote black film you know as a you know it's it's denzel it's angelina jolie yeah right any other era that probably would have been mel gibson and julia roberts or you know but you had a dramatic slot now where denzel could play in essence a character that could be anybody is the character black in the books i don't know i'll look it up i think i I think that he is and the reason why i say that is Friend of mine just created the TV show version of that. Uh, BJ, BJ, yeah, and uh, Lincoln Rhyme, I believe, is is the character's name. Yeah, Lincoln yeah, Rhyme, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's interesting. Um, you know, it, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of white filmmakers on that list. Like it's it's hard to it's hard to deny that. So and, and there, I think you know. Now here's the thing. I think all of those are great, and there's still a step much you know past what had been done you know prior to that. But you have films, in essence, that were mainstream films that happen to be cast with black actors for, you know, what, four of those five films or three of those five films. You know, Life and The Best Man, black cast. The others, though, I would say are are movies that have a black star Mm -hmm. in it. You know, Bowfinger, that's Steve Martin. That's like as white as you get, honestly. It's Eddie Murphy. Yeah. 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 I mean, everybody in that movie, I think, is white except for Eddie. Yeah, that's well. There, yeah, there's the screenwriter, <laughs> but um, right, Chubby right, Rain, right? Yes, uh, but yeah, uh, it's and Eddie is great in it's that an movie. Eddie it's an Eddie I mean, performance. There's so yeah, few, it's, it's there's not, so few yeah. people who can play who can do uh, what he yeah. does in that right. movie. He's and so funny. Yeah, that that's, yeah, he's great. It's almost yeah. the Eddie slot. It like because <laughs> yeah. like I think there was a, for a yeah. period of time like all right, we need someone who could be funny in multiple roles. So it's like those actually that that is a podcast. Um, <laughs> that's probably a topic to be discussed at some point is to look through the history of films as to these were obviously slots for certain famous comedians that didn't work out. So Blazing Saddles with Richard Pryor, you yeah. know, even though Cleveland Little was awesome, awesome. He's amazing. And, and he's yeah. the best person for yeah. that. I do wonder in the universe where Richard Pryor had to yeah. play that role. I do wonder what it would have looked like. I'm just curious. I'm just really curious. Or yeah. Ghostbusters, where it's like, and I love Ernie Hudson. He's great. Who's super to, talented. Was that supposed to be prior? Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. Um, Eddie. Like really, really early yeah. on, I think that was the intention. I just, I don't. Yeah. You Eddie, know, that's a different tough. movie. That's a different movie because it's just oh, yeah. the levels are oh, yeah. completely different. Oh yeah. Ernie, Ernie yeah. Hudson coming from the fire department is is there's something about that to me. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it is it is what it should have been. It is what it yeah. is. You know, if Eddie had been in it, I think it becomes an Eddie Murphy movie. Yes, yeah, that, that's think, the thing. I think he dwarfs Ackroyd and yeah. Murray. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, like oh, that. Of course, that becomes Winston saving in New York. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it certainly would have made Ghostbusters 2 a little better. Well, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so, all right. Yes, sir. These are my favorite conversations. But I want to get into a much worse conversation. Okay. Not worse, but like a. Um, this is the first, this is the first movie I can remember seeing where the black lead of the movie is a out and out atheist, um, or at least an agnostic, mm. right? Um, that's a very unusual dynamic to me. That's interesting. So, uh, no, I've never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. It's certainly a mainstream movie. So, um, I don't know really what the question is, but am, well, I, I, am I, I right? I, and also, what, what does that mean? Here's the thing. Because, again, it's a film that feels the pressure to be, you know, if not all things and many things to the audience. I think the more controversial take, although you wouldn't have been able to get away with it in 1999 with a mainstream film, would, would be that he also finished the film as a true agnostic with no like humility whatsoever Mm -hmm. what you had to put in there um which i don't think is a bad thing i think ultimately it was a really good thing was the idea of him humbling himself and ultimately like recognizing like the value of religion that's a precursor to really what um tyler perry films dylan that's you know that's the space that they can and to a certain extent much of the same audience like for the modern, you know, at least for the modern era, it was definitely like provocative at the time, at least to have a black male character question religion whatsoever. Cause you were, you're challenging the very core audience that you're expecting to see the film. Um, but at the same time, because you're going on a journey, you know, there's an arc and you know that in order to reach a happy ending, you know, you know that there's going to have to be at least some respect that's given, so to speak to the traditional values that scene at the end where he gets um, Tay Diggs to get on his knees, yeah, yeah. Morris gets him to humble himself and gets him to actually say a prayer, I think went a long ways. I think without that scene, yeah. if he never does that, I don't, I don't know that that film becomes a hit that it does. Off of that one scene. Mm-hmm. That core audience, for that audience, before there was Tyler Perry, before there were 20 Tyler Perry movies out there, that one movie with that view of it, now what you do is you tied in, you know, people that are into, you know, the the sexiness of the world and the the male bonding, and you've also tied in your aunts and grandmothers, and you need the aunts and grandmothers. Mm-hmm. You need them. Yeah, it's an interesting. Yeah. It's kind of a I mean, that's an interesting point that that is his arc, and that was obviously intended. Um, there's an interesting space that Tay Diggs' character plays in that um, I don't know. I'm probably. Uh, It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Might be getting out of my lane a little bit. Put me back into it if I need to be put back. Get out. Get out. You're wearing a North Face hat. (laughs) Own it. Swerve into that lane. Just do it. You know what you're like a semi. Just like, just like, just crash. This is this is this is my day to day. I ride on step up high water, so my day to day is like getting out of my lane. <laughs> there are no lanes. And, and yeah. begging people to put me back into it. Everyone, be like, I don't put you back in your lane. So, <laughs> so the what I'm trying, what I'm what I'm kind of working with, or I'm trying to figure out basically is all right. You have Morris Chestnut's character as a football player, not you know, not necessarily an intellectual. There obviously have been. Sp- Thought leaders from the world of sports before there is a certain pressure on people like at the top of the industry, like a LeBron James, to to do that, to kind of be you know civic leaders, thought leaders, etc. But Michael Jordan never did it. There's no, it's not incumbent upon that kind of person to do it. And Morris Chestnut basically embodies traditional black values. Is there some jeopardy to someone who is necessarily a thought leader, like a prominent author? not embodying those values. Um, I, I I wonder if that is something that black audiences were grappling with slash maybe a little concerned with at the time. Talking about just in pure characterization, who the atheist should be? N- that the idea that, all right, so it's not a similar thing, but you, it's not necessarily similar, but you mentioned that so that black audiences are more socially conservative than uh, perhaps your average audience or perhaps your average white movie going audience. Right. Um, there's this thing right now among Republicans where they, there's this idea that the majority of Republicans think college education is a negative. That's like born out in polls, right? And this idea that if you go to an elite university, you're going to be kind of brainwashed by the liberal, liberal professors into being liberal or whatever, into, you know, embracing socialism, whatever horrible things we do. Um, I do wonder if there's a similar thing that like if, you know, Tay Diggs' character becomes a popular author, he'll be kind of enveloped by this New York elite society that is also primarily secular, if not atheist. And then you'll have a prominent black intellectual who is also not espousing the views consistent with traditional black culture. Did not expect to get into this with the best man, but <laughs> I will you, oblige. I, um, I think overall, and and Tyler Perry exists in that space right now. There is a view in traditional black audiences, and I'm including like my own family, you know, in that regard from my own uh, personal perspective. Where, and this is a very religious view from a Judeo-Christian, um, traditional American, Western point of view of success um, can be a hindrance to spirituality and true faith, you know, where the more successful you are, the more, um, the more access you have to, you know, commercial things, the farther you can get away from, you know, caring about faith and about individuals. And there's some, Definitely some evidence to bear that out with certain success stories where, you know, people can get caught up with the age old thing of the rags of riches, whether it's a successful musician um, or, you know, an athlete who. Right. The temptations that come with temptations with with money and and fame. Correct. 
Correct. That age old, the, the American dream and what the, the pitfalls can be uh, with that. Um, I do think that it's forgiven to a certain extent with some jobs and some careers more than others. You know, people seem to forgive politicians for that as long as you can still espouse occasionally, you know, a phrase or two mm-hmm. that makes it seem like you're still in touch with spirituality. Any particular politician I, that you you're know, referring that, to? That's a, that's <laughs> <laughs> that is his a... favorite book is the Bible, for instance. <laughs> Can't name a passage. Can't name a verse, but <laughs> yeah. So that it can be used as a, that badge that, uh, you know, that um, the badge of approval, so sure. to speak. You know, I think musicians can, to a certain extent, get away with it as long as, I mean, R. Kelly's whole career is is that yeah. um you know a guy that very amazingly for many years I, I was always the guy in the room where i'm like is no one like yeah. is no one clocking yeah. the fact that this yeah. dude has a very tried and true formula which is which is successful but yet very disturbing like he's able to alternate like the most spiritual music that you'll ever hear that you would hear in any definitely any black church you walk into into america i believe i can fly your grandmother's singing that and playing that on a yeah. loop you know, very inspirational. And then the next song would be, you girl, remind me of a Jeep, of a vehicle. I'm going to ride you. Right? That's that's like... Within like the that's next like track. With, yes, that's... So you... You know who did that too? is Johnny Cash. Yes. Musicians. thing. Johnny Cash, yeah. that was, was literally going from hymns to like, you know, shot a man dead. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Yeah. Just to watch him die. Like, he didn't piss me off. <laughs> like, he didn't take my girl. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, like, you have definitely, like, in traditional, I think there's certain paths. Sure. You know, when you're a public figure and you can give people pleasure on one level or another, whether it's as a politician, a musician, think comedians get a little bit of a write-off as well you can you know not as much as they used to not as no no they're yeah that's that's been really interesting that's an our phone that's protected for so many years and now it's like under fire yeah but bottom line would be is that i think with those certain careers you can get away with it i think other careers it's a little more difficult so in the film you know being a novelist him being a novelist protects him to a certain extent because he's a little bit anonymous you know he's you know in essence, as long as, you know, what people I think are able to kind of look at and, and do is distance him from mm-hmm. his views. He's a writer, you know, writers think and they come up with things. Had you presented, you know, even if you had to present him as like an everyday carpenter, a father, a carpenter, I think it's a harder sell, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, if you if you presented him as a, any type of a businessman or something like that, too, it might have been. Businessman, um, um, and not to mention if he was actually a, like a, a spiritual leader of some sort, right. that would be you know blasphemy. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he works in an artistic zone where he explores ideas that you know we may not always agree with, but you know that's what he does for a living. And as long as at the end of the day he comes back home to being humbled, that's an acceptable message. That film is a completely different film if he's not an author. You know, and he is mm-hmm. a everyday man. And by the way, at the end, he refuses to kneel. You know, right. we're going to be friends, but, you know, we got to meet each other. And that would be a different film. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that becomes a hit. A little more, it's, yeah. it's transgressive in that way. 
you know, it's, it's funny. It's what you what you're saying is it's um, it's such a weird thing that's happening to Jews right now, because this exact thing has been happening to Jews for about forty years, where there's been this you know American Jews in general are very liberal, and but there's always been a wing that's been very Zionist and very conservative in that sense. Mm-hmm. And now we're being shamed by this fucking president <clears throat> into coming back into the fold. Yeah. What he perceives to be the fold. I mean, the, the yeah, whole thing. The whole thing is I, as you're talking, I'm feeling a very similar like, like thing where, where the happy ending for a lot of Jews is we all, you know, <laughs> you know, pro- proclaim our loyalty to Israel mm. And, um, you know, forget about everything else. So I, 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 you know, I think kind of every minority in Has some sense. Sort of I, well, I, yeah, there's always a, like a bit of a schism. Particularly, kind of yeah, particularly when there's religion involved. Mm-hmm. It happens in the Latino community mm-hmm. too right now a lot. That's a generational thing. Like mm-hmm. it's a really strong generational divide in the Latino community. So it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's tough because you're mixing not only – true beliefs but to a large extent you're mixing tradition mm-hmm. yeah and that's i mean that is the that's the baggage that's family that's I mean, family that's, that's, yeah. that's that's blood ties yeah. and Identity. you completely yeah. reject things that were passed down to you by people you respect and love and can you continue to coexist when an entire system of your community has been based on those values that's because it tough. feels like it feels it feels disrespectful to where you've where you come from you know what I mean? That that idea of I mean, I'm I'm not a religious person by any means. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Uh, I'm very proud of my heritage or for the people that have come before me, but that doesn't equate itself in me going to synagogue. Um, you know, it's it's people have to find their own ways through this stuff while also respecting and and loving you know the the family that comes before. So you know, I understand it's tricky terrain. Um, and, and, and I understand why people want to see that in the films that they go and see as well. I mean, I think that they want to see themselves. We talked about this a little bit on, uh, Snowfalling on Cedars, but just that idea of seeing yourself on screen. You right. know what I mean? It's, 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 it's powerful. And, 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 you know, t- the fact that there are so many people that unfortunately don't get to see themselves or versions of themselves on screen on a regular basis is just, you know, it is. I think it's, is the advantage to now having, Voices expanded when when there's one or two voices and when a film has to try to be all things or most things to someone, you know, the responsibility then is to what in essence is a little bit of propaganda going on because it becomes what message do you want to put out? If this is the one thing you have etched in stone for eternity, one of the few, you know, are you putting out something that reflects the values that have come before? Are you putting out that thing that challenges all of the values? And it tends to be, you know always the safest way to go business wise and socially is to put out the thing that supports those values. And then if that does well and you're able to expand and now you can have five different views at the table, well, now you can have those views that might be in contrast. Yeah. So I, I sort of want to pivot a little bit because there's something interesting that this, this isn't, you would think this was a a very religious (laughs) Film, considering what we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes or so it's not particularly i mean it's much more obviously it's it's more of a romantic you know romp type of thing but um i kind of wanted to talk about the i guess sex within this movie to a certain degree and the way that that sort of the female characters play into that specifically the way jordan's character is portrayed mm. um or, or neil long's character 
you know, she had a past with uh, with Harper, with Tay Diggs' character in college. They almost had sex. They didn't because uh, the CD started to skip. I totally had that stereo, by the way. And, and, <laughs> but um, but uh, so uh, so they, so they just never made it happen. And then she decides, uh, apropos of the fact that he's there, essentially, <laughs> that she wants to finally have sex with this guy. Now, she knows he has a girlfriend um, and and does not care. It seems even in the slightest. I mean, there's literally a scene where Harper says Robin is coming tomorrow and then Jordan kisses him. Like there's no question in her mind that that exists. Now, Hart wants what it wants, bro. <laughs> I'd also, I'd, I'd, I'm not disputing that, I'd but like I don't know if it does say, the character any I'd, justice. I'd also say yes. she was there first. There is something to that. There, no, no, I know. Like there is something. Really? I'm not, I'm, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that there is something there is something to that idea of like we have history going back 20 years. Right. It'd be a lot different if, right. you, if you had a girlfriend for like I don't know God willing. a year. Yes, if you were with the girl <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. If you were with a girl for a year and your sure, girl, and sure. your girlfriend from college came out. Sure. That's a lot different if you kissed her than if you kissed a random girl at work. You know? Sure, like, but I'm not sure that my girlfriend wouldn't actually think it's worse. It is worse. <laughs> it is worse okay. because there's because there's feelings involved. Right. But that's why it's more likely to happen. Right. Sure. So that's there's a I'm, history. You're that's saying, what yeah. I'm getting at. Okay. And actually, that's one of the things I liked about the movie the most is I had absolutely no idea who Tay Diggs was going to wind up with. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. And I was and I was pleasantly surprised that he ends up with Robin. It, it's funny. I I knew from day one. There's no way. <laughs> There's just no, cause I know the audience. I'm like, there's absolutely yeah. no way he ends up as, and Neil Long was smoking. Like in that film, you know, she answered, nah, are both she great. The door in, in lingerie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing, like a different time, <laughs> very different time. Um, although by the way, just as a side, uh, as a side note, yeah. Neil Long was still, uh, Catching compliments from J. Cole in a rap that he did just a few years ago. And that's mm-hmm. almost, you know, 15 years later. Timeless is what I would say. <laughs> yeah, timeless. timeless. That's the thing to remember. Yeah, I don't know. She's got to watch out because, like, <laughs> Stacey Dash disappeared for about 15 years. She's in the heart. What wasn't Heartless video? It was the, um, yeah. Uh, one of the Kanye uh, videos. Yeah. And she still looks incredible. And it's like, oh wow! So Stacey, Stacey Dash is his back, and then, ooh, did that go the that, wrong that way? That went sideways. So yeah. But anyway, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Although for different reasons, but yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so you know, in that regard, I mean, you have. I do agree. There's history between the two of them. There's sure. the 20 years, and then I also think they're trying to play with this idea, in the same way that, for instance, when Friends did Ross, Rachel, will they, won't they, and you know. I think Rachel's about to get on a plane. He's got to rush. And this idea that there's a ticking clock, you know, that um, right. that he and Sana um, are supposed to either make a commitment or, you know, it's kind of the breaking point, the crossroads, if you will, the mm-hmm. relationship. Then it becomes, you know, if there's if this is ever going to work out between he and me, if they're ever going to have that moment that they didn't have before, like it's kind of got to happen right now. They're never going to be, you know, there's my, that's my the idea. My on the next plane. We better make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> but it, in theory, it's kind of it's one of those it's those moments, though, as a young adult. I can relate to this to certain things. Again, you know, getting married in 99. It's like as you're starting to get serious, you know, and if you are serious about getting serious. 
then it does kind of become that thing of like, all right, it is kind of forever, like now yeah. or forever hold your peace, so to speak. And I think that's what they're trying to play with is yeah. the idea that like, if this is going to go down, it needs to go down like right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're never going to have a space that's more perfect than this where mm-hmm. we're here together. And, you know, neither one of us in theory has attachments that are immediate and right. we're having good, you know, a good time and the vibes are right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I get that. I guess I'm just sort of it, it. It it's an example in this film a little bit of. I mean, and Shelby's another one of of sort of female villains a little bit. Shelby's a victim of 1999. Yeah. I think Shelby as a character in 2019 would be portrayed very very differently. differently. Yes. Um. Yeah. So there's a little bit of. I, it's just. I don't think Nia Long's a, uh, a villain. I don't. I. I, I I'm not. I'm a, not. I don't mean to suggest she's a villain, but she's an antagonist to you, a certain degree. Not to me. Not really. If you step back and you look at it, you know. The 2019 version of this, where the female characters aren't necessarily more fully formed, but they're given more screen time mm-hmm. to kind of and and what Aaron's saying about the Ross and Rachel of it, I look at her a little bit more like Julie Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding, right? Okay, where again she is villainous in yeah. her way, but yeah. like also you understand where she's coming from mm-hmm. because this is her last chance yeah. to get what she get who the, she, she thinks is the man. That she's supposed to be with, yeah, and there is some, there is some mobility to that pursuit, you know. Like you have to break a few. It's eggs. not binary. I wasn't making it. I, I hope so that I, didn't come. Yeah, across no, that I way. don't think she's all that villainous. I think I my problem with Jordan's character is a little different. Like she's such a killer at work, and you you walk in and it's like she's a killer. She's you know she's mm. already running the whole station, et cetera, et cetera, and she's real. Um, she gets real pushed around. She's real. It's not passive. She's real uh, subordinate mm. throughout the movie. She doesn't have a ton of agency. She, she other than one, yeah. To, to yeah, you know, yeah. yeah she's yeah. she's just yeah. Um, and it, I, she's she kind of falls in that category with Shelby and other female characters. Where it's like there's a nugget of interesting premise for a character yeah. there. You you know if you just were to track them throughout the film, you'd want to look for places where you could allow them to flourish and yeah. just flesh them out a little bit more. You know, ultimately, I do agree she's an obstacle. Yes, I I feel she's more an obstacle than an, an antagonist. You know, she ends up being a real ally. You know, she in the does. End. Yeah. I one more point about Shelby. I would have liked to see a little more fleshing out there because <clears throat> I like I I kind of liked her character. And I like the idea that she winds up with Terrence Har- Howard's yeah. character. And I like the idea, like, that's a couple that I'd kind of want to see. Yeah, I see. wish they bounced off of each other a little bit more. Just they, a yeah, little bit. I if you could, like, if you could hint the whole movie that uh, those mm-hmm. two are like the, have, the right have, yin and yang. I think we have, though. It's mm-hmm. a show called Empire. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> like, you take yeah. Terrence Howard's whole yeah. journey. God, that's so true. Before Hustle and Flow, yeah. before playing Rhodey briefly in uh, Iron Man. Mm hmm. You know, by the time he gets, ends up playing Lucius Lyon, that is kind of a more exaggerated version of the character. That's in the interesting. Best Man. Like the kind of like, again, the asshole, but he's our asshole. Yeah. Like that's that's that yeah. brand. Now, on the other hand, I mean, you again, it's a difference in time periods. You look at Empire and you look at Taraji P. Henson's character, Cookie, in that series. She's got layers upon layers. She's not. Shelby from the best man, yeah. but she is very much, you know, at loggerheads with Lucius's character, with Terrence's, you know, character. And there's a real kind of like you love to see them fight, but you also love to see, you know, mm-hmm. them on the verge of getting it on or actually getting it on. 
that all started. You figure with the best man and in that final scene and you're going, okay, I want to see, kind of want to see more of that. That's the, you know, we have a couple of friends who describe themselves. They're a lot of fun to be around, like the most fun to be around. And they describe themselves as Yang and Yang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's just, it's well, yeah, right. too much Perfect. Yang. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's something, there's something about it where they're Yang and Yang. They're always fighting and bickering, but like, God, they're in love, you know? And they're, they're like, really, these two are really in love. And it's right. awesome. I love it. I got a little um, yang and yang with my wife, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell her that. I, so I want to talk about the bachelor party I, a little bit. I doubt like, she's listening an hour, 26 minutes into the best so? episode. Well, maybe she will. She'll, uh, she'll hear that we're a little yang and yang. Yang and yeah. yang. Uh, the but bachelor party. is talking about a yang again. <laughs> <laughs> Always talking about the yang. <laughs> I'm a little, um, I don't really understand why yeah, Lance. part of the yang gang. Why, why Lance has the desire to uh, to read Harper's book in the middle of uh, of his bachelor party? Well, yes, there yeah, there are some drunk. <laughs> I mean, yes, but like it's and never made you want to read. Did you ever read novels while you were drunk? I used to go home. This is so embarrassing. I used to go home drunk and just watch good films, like just leave really? party, just watch Contempt. And you were it was only only drunk. Uh, have you ever watched Godard you mean, Sober? I mean, on, a, yeah, the first time. <laughs> the first time, whatever. <laughs> and then I would like leave parties and be like, I just need, I just need le, 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 le mepoise. How do you say it in French? I don't know. Le mepoise? Mepoise? This is humiliating. I'm not going to try <laughs> anyway, to um, I like yeah. that, 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 that Godard was your drunk, uh. Because, you know, you get real fuck, sometimes you get real fucking introspective and depressive. And I mean, yeah, that, I, that's sure. where kind of you need to go. So, I mean, I don't drink anymore, so I don't Either want to anymore. Either way, Lance sees the book in someone's jacket pocket and it sort of elicits this desire to want to read this book. Um, but, but I would say that the, the more salient point or maybe one of the bigger points is that Candy comes into the equation played by Regina Hall. Yes, her debut, her I believe. Debut. Yeah. She's great in this. Yes. Um, you can tell she's she has a star quality about her yep. pretty much immediately. Yep. Um, However, uh, Merck's reaction to her lap dance is strange. Um, he's very kind of, I don't really even know how to explain it. How, how would you explain it, Kenny? How would I explain Harold Perrineau's <laughs> acting in general? Well, no, no. I, I love him. I, I like I Harold Perrineau. I love I've, him. I've, I've no, I love him. No beef he's with like, him. But, no, I mean, he's the best. Um, he's great. He's a nerd. Like, okay. he's, he's just I a, guess that's, he's, yeah. a, he's that's, a nerd. That's fair. Like, if, I don't, like, yeah. if you did, like, Stranger Things <laughs> 25 years later, he'd be playing the, the kid in Stranger Things. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I he's, see that. He's a nerd. Like, he's just, yeah. Um, I don't really know how else to say it. Like, no, that's, he, that's, that's, that's maybe the perfect he, way to say it. He's just a little, he's just sort of in over his head a little bit. Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's kind of, you know, like, look, she, I think he's kind of, I kicked this coverage with Shelby, yeah. both in terms of like, not necessarily like how she looks, but just how, dominant aggressive she is that's not the kind of girl he can handle yeah i think he knows that i don't think he knows how to handle a stripper on his lap he's always kind of submissive in um in the group scenes certainly with his girlfriend they make fun of him to his face yeah yeah um he's just a dork so you know he's he's really good in this movie and and i do i quite like harold i thought he was great in uh Romeo Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet amazing yeah Yeah, he's a great Mercutio what's so weird to me just about, I mean, there's so many people in this movie who are good dancers and singers. <laughs> and it's weird that Tate Dix has never like gotten to show that. 
Yeah, I mean Rent, but obviously that was well, he originated yeah. the role. Yeah. yeah. So like, but yeah, and even then, it's not really a dancey kind of. It's really not yeah. even a singy role, actually. True. Yeah, it's kind of it's half and half because yeah. you know I feel like Terrence Howard obviously was able to show that in Hustle and Flow, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, and Harold obviously. I mean Harold, I think is a jack of many trades. He's yeah, yeah, really good at playing. He can play meek characters. He can also play. He's really a little good. bit edgier with uh, Mercutio and also in the Matrix. Um, yeah. And know, Lost. Yeah. I mean, obviously. And Lost. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> but then, like, um, a guy like uh, Morris Chestnut is actually more of like a traditional kind of yeah. like yeah. straight up leading mm-hmm. man guy. I don't know if, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen him have necessarily an ounce a bonus body that's like a singer or a dancer type. No, no, no not him. Yeah. And, uh, and Tay from the rent days, you know, there's some people who, um, seem to be really good at, you know, you give them a role and you allow them to prepare for it and they're able to kind of pull it off. And others who are just naturally inclined to having those skill sets. I wonder with him, if it's the latter, more you know, of a worker. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, if more you a straight a student type, Right, right. You give him a role of playing like a, a singer, he'll pull it off, you know, but is he the guy that naturally, mm-hmm. you know, does that? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah, I, he hasn't really done that. So. He's a really good-looking foursome, too. Yeah. He's just yeah. a, four well, really, a good-looking cast across the good-looking board. Good-looking cast. <laughs> a really good-looking foursome, in my opinion, mm-hmm. These the men. Yeah. Wearing um, a lot of beige. We're ninety nine. A lot of long suit jackets. <laughs> like, what was yeah. that show that Morris Chestnut started in a few years Rosewood? ago? Rosewood. Yeah, 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 that guy looks good on a poster. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's a very attractive <laughs> man. He, I won't comment on that, but he he, uh, <laughs> he, he made a I come up this though. Podcast. podcast. <laughs> what is happening? We're talking about Yangs, and we're talking about how attractive <laughs> Morris Chestnut is. is. Yes. Um, but he, you know. We knew him. I knew him, obviously, from playing Ricky, you know, the tragic yeah. you know, kid that gets killed in Boys in the Hood. I would not have predicted at the time yeah. that that guy from Boys in the Hood would end up playing heartthrob guy, you know, just a short time later. In the – it's so funny. In the flashback scenes, yeah. it's like he's Ricky again because yeah. he doesn't have the goatee. Yeah. And he really looks like a different guy. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I thought it might have been a different guy. Like, yeah, so yeah. The flashbacks of, are really effective in this movie. Yeah. I thought, I thought the flashbacks were more effective in this than in the wood. I mean, you in know, my, I, I like yeah. this movie. I like this movie more than, more than the yeah. Wood. I, I mean, I, the, the wood is just I, I, maybe it's because, and we talked about this on our episode about the wood, but this this film picks its moments and like really has like flashback pops right. and scenes, right? As opposed to the wood, which is essentially almost like a 50 50 movie so it's yeah. it, you you it's kind of even 50 50 it's yeah. mostly the kids most of the like, kids which is which again i don't, like I don't have an issue with it but me. it's it's just a different it's a different yeah no it's that's principle. what it's, it they're completely different yeah. names you know feel like the wood again is a much more coming of age more yeah. sentimental mm-hmm. yeah you know mm-hmm. i think the whole movie starts off with with um I'm forgetting the name of the song. Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But like mm-hmm. that's the the very start. I think it's a plane yeah. flying over Inglewood mm-hmm. with that song. It lets you know right away this is a movie about your childhood yeah. Yeah. and a little bit about where you are now. Yeah. Whereas the best man definitely had more of a of a narrative that they were trying to tell with these mm-hmm. friends. And you're right. I think the pops were there to help the story to move you know yeah. along characterization wise, mm-hmm. give you insight into what the relationships were and. You know, give you some context for where you are right now. Yeah, they, they do. They do a really, they do a really great job. I, I, it's so we're kind of jumping around the plot, which is totally fine. But um, with Jordan's character, she does have the moment when 
Harper shows up at her door after getting beaten up by uh, Lance when he finds out about the whole um, Harper and, and Mia situation. Yep. Um, and good bruising on Tay Tay Dick's yeah, face. By good the way. good bruising. Yeah. And, and and also just a moment where she sort of says like sack up or get the fuck out of my apartment, basically, yeah. which I think is is kind of great. And the slap apparently was improvised. Uh, which is why Tay's reaction to it is very real. And apparently after they yelled cut, he was really pissed and uh, said he didn't want it in the movie. Um, and then he saw it later and was like, it's great. I, I think it's great. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's yeah. it's a real moment. Yeah. Um, so and, and and I respect her character a lot more in this moment, I would say, just in terms of her just, again, sort of agency and taking sort of control of a situation as opposed to just allowing it to continue to progress. Of, of the female characters, I felt like Nia's character had the most agency coming down the stretch. Like there's yeah. in the first half of the film, she's very much pretty much with one mission, very consistent. Yeah. I feel like with the slap, what you get is kind of a, at that point, kind of a domino effect of her being very active and also in interesting situations. You know, mm-hmm. her expecting him to come over and sleep with her, but then showing up after he got his ass beat, you know, not expected. And her reaction to that, not expected, the slap. Her having to show up at the church while the, the wedding's about to go down and in essence having to help the woman who is her obstacle to the guy that she wants. Also interesting, yeah. you know, having to, in essence, be her ally while she's unaware of who, you know, yeah. what her role has been for the female characters as about as close as you come yeah. to. She to, grows up. Yes. A little bit throughout yes. the course of the film. Yes. Which, which I, which I agree. I would, I, yeah. I did appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so basically Lance has sort of a, a forgive me, a come to Jesus moment where he has to decide whether or not he wants to be with Mia still. Um, not sure I totally buy the I had to come to the church to tell my parents in person as a reason to come to the that's, church. That's the rom com. Yeah. You, you need the last minute event, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. and you and it, this was 99, too. So you had basically like five choices for the last right, minute right. event. Is she hopping on a plane or a train? <laughs> There's a church like, involved in some way or is another. Is a church? Yeah. yeah. Is there a wedding or yeah. some type of community family event that we have yeah. to make it to? And by the way, that still gets used because it's just it's a it's a conceit that always works. Yeah. If you're doing the hangover, we got to get back yeah, to the wedding. Yeah. Got to yeah. get back to the wedding. Yeah. I'm missing a tooth and I got a tattoo on my face, but we got to get back to the wedding, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's again, it's ticking clock stuff. It's right. just keeping people moving forward. I didn't even notice. No, I didn't mean, I mean I, I didn't, yeah. yeah. I would I would argue that if you took all the 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 um romantic comedies that, that came out, especially during that era, and you lined up just the third acts. Just the yeah. Third, yeah. Look to see how many commonalities there are sure. as far as we gotta get back to this event mm-hmm. right now. And by that time, I think the the conceit's always been you're already on board, you know, you're not thinking too much about breaking it down, you know, logic wise. You mm-hmm. just wanna just at that point you just wanna see how it ends. Sure. You know, we've done a bunch of romantic comedies. We have. And I could throw some out there. Sure. Mickey Blue Eyes, gotta <laughs> get back for the the wedding. True. <laughs> Runaway Bride, gotta get back for the wedding. Yeah. True. Yeah. Uh Notting Hill, gotta get to the press conference. Uh Force of Nature, gotta get to the wedding. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Of the bad ones. <laughs> so, so here's here's one that here's one that breaks the mold to a certain extent, and I think it's why it stands out as one of the best versions mm. of this. I don't even know if it's it's a comedy to a certain extent. It's Jerry Maguire, right? Sure. He yeah. still has to get back, but it's not a wedding. It's a very personal thing. There is no deadline, so to speak. He has to get back to his girl, 
because this is the right time to do it. Yeah. You know, so it feels different because it's, you know, you don't have that same conceit. It's all about the that. character clock. Well, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, that moment is basically, I just experienced something that was supposed to be experienced with you. And I never yeah. want to experience something like that without, without you, you again. Yeah. So that could happen at any any moment in my life. So in I'm a gonna, room of divorced right. women. Yeah, this is right. where it has to happen. This is yeah. where it has to happen. Yeah. Right. And that clock is still there because yeah. of the fact that he no longer, he doesn't want to experience life like that without her. Yeah. But it's yeah. a personal clock. It's not a... An event clock, mm-hmm. if you will. External. It's not external. It's internal, hard, which is great. Yeah. Hard to have the guts to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's also a great moment at the end of uh, The Best Man where uh, Lance goes into the church and he sees Harper. And he's being held back by everybody because he wants oh. to kick his ass. And they're literally tearing his shirt off of his body. It's just, <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they, they have, you know, as you mentioned, they have the moment where Harper gets down on, on his knees and they sort of, there's a flashback of that. I yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting, um, well, there's that. not, I, I, that sequence was a number. And I'm going to use a fill word. It was a little bonkers. It was a little bonkers. <laughs> but you had, um, thanks, sir. Had, <laughs> it's one of my favorite fill words. Like, Phil, how much uses the word bonkers? I'm going to try to work that into my vocabulary a little bit more. Yeah. But, in yeah. that in that particular scene, and you know, and this is only this is a guess, you know, but I think coming down that aisle, the imagery that that I felt like I saw was, you know, showing the in essence the the athlete, the football player that yes, he is and yes, how hard it yeah. is to physically stop him. So it's like dragging <laughs> yeah. if my guess is if I were to read the screenplay, it would yeah. be, you know, just like he drags tacklers. Sure, you know, sure, sure. He's, he's dragging those guys down. And no, totally. a little bit of a you know, obviously the image of actually the guys as a team, as a family, mm-hmm. trying to stop him from doing this. Yeah. The flashbacks, which I actually thought were a little bit, you know, effective as far as just kind of like punching you in the face. Although, <laughs> although I will say, like, you know, I did have a few logical issues with it. Was when he was at the when he's actually they're about to take the nuptials, and he's standing there and he's trying to block out what he imagines happened. Um, between yeah. Harper and mm-hmm. Mia. Which is great. Which is great. Yeah. Me as a married guy, and even at the time, I had to admit, logically, I was going, if he's still having those flashes in his head. At the altar. At the altar. <laughs> yeah. that's Get a, out. That's a problem. I actually didn't like that. I, I was, that, that was. It's an, a little jarring. It was enough for me. Yeah. You know, like the movie had ended and it was enough for me. Like, I, I think it was, I think it was kind of what you're saying, Aaron. I'm just like, just, aren't we just going to do a happy ending here? Yeah. Yeah, just no. get to it. I think they're trying yeah. to milk the suspense, but at that point, I don't buy he's going to leave. Just you know, you get yeah. to it and let them get married, and sure, you know, and go for it. Um, and then you know, it's kind of that thing. You're, you're trying to figure out what are the best ways to kind of uh, you know milk a wedding ceremony that you've already seen in the wood earlier that year, and you've seen in several you know rom coms at that point. Yeah. How do you make it you know different and I think between the the walking down of the aisle and the flashbacks of the altar, and then ultimately their moment in the the study, which I think is really all you needed is the moment in the study. You know, those are those attempts to make this the best man a different type of wedding than others. For sure, and, you know, and then you, then at the end you have uh, Harper um, proposing to Robin in the yes. middle of the wedding ceremony, which. If that happened at my wedding, I might not love somebody stealing the spotlight yeah, at the and reception. At the yeah, reception, yeah, I feel like that's a little bit of a no-no, but it is what it is. And then the movie ends with an amazing rendition of the electric slide. Oh, and so I- okay. Actually, 
Let me tell you something about that. <laughs> I actually had a problem with that. I had a problem with that. I had, um, because again, going back to my theory, you know, that at the time you had, you know, two or three slots for so-called black movies in mainstream Hollywood. There was a batting average of about, I don't know, 75, you know, 75%, I would say, of black family movies that either ended with the electric slide or had the electric slide somewhere in the movie. And I think this led to an expectation that if you go to a black family event, definitely the electric slide is going down. (laughs) So I had, you know, maybe like one or two friends that I brought to like a family gathering and that I think that was like 90% of why they wanted to come it's like I want to I want to do the electric slide (laughs) and here's the thing it's here's the thing here's here's what's what's here's what's strange about it is that it is I mean to be fair it is a traditional you know dance and people know it it's very popular at the same time now I think you have life imitating art though where I go to family gatherings and definitely we do the electric slide way more than we used to do before you, these really? movies had it. Yes. Yeah. So now when you have movies doing it and you got black audiences watching, they're going, you know, this, we haven't done that in a while. Maybe we should bring that back. <laughs> now it actually kind of does reflect it to a certain extent. The, I mean, I just went to a family reunion a couple of weeks ago. That's the first thing everybody wants to do is electric. <laughs> I'm like, when do, when do we start doing this again? There was just like a once every 10 years type thing. Now it's like a thing like That's every amazing. single time. That's great. And, you know, so uh, it's, it's, that's where art can be a powerful thing. But at the time sure. when I watched it, I was like, all right, come on. I've seen, <laughs> it's like the fifth film in a row that, you know, we're going to go see. And we have this, either that or it was the Soul Train line. It was one of the two. Right. And, yeah. you know, the entire, sure. over yeah. the credits a lot of times would be the Soul Train line. Everybody's kind of doing That's what thing. we do at my family reunions. And here's the thing. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> it's undeniably fun. At the same time, I just, you know, at the time, if you have the two or three slots, I wish everyone had just like coordinated where it's like, okay, wood, the wood, you got that? Yeah. So we're going to, so we're going to not do it. We're going to do something yeah. else. Yeah. And then the film after this, oh, you already did the electric slide. Okay. Then we'll, we'll do, you know, we'll do like the family dinner or, you know, we'll do, you know, some other thing, you yeah. know, but when it's like, that's a consistent thing, then, See, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that. Because I have not seen as many of these, so it, it just it was it was like to me That's so I, funny. I want to. I just want to say that it worked for me, and I say that in the sense that there's something so joyous and and great about seeing all these characters that you've been hanging out with for two hours just dancing together and having a good time. I know it might seem silly, and I know it might be, but like the end of it's like. Um, the end of uh, Slumdog Millionaire, where yeah. they did Bollywood. Oh, that's amazing! You know, like it's just it's it's it it's such a movie. joyous experience, and it's also the 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 musical fan in me too that just kind of loves that everyone's kind of broken out of this kind of. Well, you know, the fact that it really happens. This isn't she's sure. all. No, this no, isn't she's all it's that. She's all, all of a sudden they know right. this elaborate. Yeah, no, I know that. But wait, I, there's a show on Netflix now called Family Reunion. Yes, it's a sitcom. It's a multicam. Yep. They do the electric slide in the first episode. <laughs> And no, no, I mean, like I've watched every episode with my kids. Case closed. And I was like, I yes, case closed exactly. But I had no idea. So here's the thing. It was, it was exactly what you said. They're like, we got to do it. Here, here's We're the thing. Here. So funny. That said, off of off, yeah. off of something that the Phil was just saying, I do think of the electric slice scenes. The best man version is one of the better ones, if not the best. And the reason why is if you you watch that scene yeah. when they're doing it. 
it doesn't feel staged at all. That's like everybody's kind of doing their own thing. Terrence Howard kind of has yeah. a little bit of like a shoulder shimmy, like as he's doing <laughs> yeah. it with like a smile yeah. on his face, where yeah. it's like that looks like they just set up the cameras and they're like, everybody yeah. just do it. Yeah. He's, he's going to make it his own no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, as I was watching it, because they cut to, I don't know, probably three or four different angles of it. I was like, well, they must have just had a bunch of cameras rolling because it feels very sort of just off the cuff and everyone's, and some of them are clearly not comfortable doing it. Like yep. they don't know the dance. The, the movie. Yep. It's just, it, it, feel, it felt very real and it was a nice way to end the movie because it just felt like you were, I don't know, getting a window into something that you might not have. Uh, it, ultimately, I feel like the the attempt is to give you a sense that you're actually there at yeah. a wedding. And in that regard, I think that's really effective. Totally. Um, it's a really nice, I, I don't know. I, I it, it was nice, but I imagine if I saw it seven or 10, that, that was it. it. It's like, I mean, <laughs> like, honestly, it's, it's like, you know, you, you can have a steak at Ruth Chris's, but if you've had like steak all week, you know, <laughs> That it's just like, all right, just oh, yeah. I, I want just to just just switch it up just a little bit, just a little sure. bit. Artists can't take it. Yeah, be like if every every movie about a Jewish wedding just ended with the horror. Yeah, yes. And then we had yes. to do the horror every time we got together, <laughs> <laughs> and we lifted up people in chairs. Yeah, no, I would be sick of it too. And no one can really pinpoint the origin. It's just this is just something we do now. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like that, that's where when people ask about like entertainment and what's the you know, importance of it. And I say all the time, it's, you know, what you watch has such an impact on a lot of things that you end up wanting to do across the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's where those two or three slots are important again for those films at that time. It's like, it isn't just a movie, quote unquote. It's like, you'll take values and things that you feel mm-hmm. are right about life from that, including what sure. we should do at family gatherings. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Yes. Uh, so we do ratings on this uh, show. Uh, we rate the film from zero to ninety nine. Zero oh, being wow. the lowest, ninety nine being the highest. <laughs> what got ninety nine? Did anything? We have, we have not hit ninety nine. Oh, yet. that's not true. I haven't. You might have, but I don't think I've hit. I hit it all the time. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't hit a ninety nine. I'll tell you what hit ninety nine for me. Okay, because I have the uh, I have Matrix. The I think Matrix South yeah. Park. Um, South I think Park, those yeah. are the two. South Park. Yeah. Um, so yeah. those those are Kenny's two ninety nine. I don't think I have any ninety so, nines yet. So the third Matrix you like this ninety nine? <laughs> no, ninety nine was the first Matrix. <laughs> I like the fourth one. I just <laughs> <laughs> I like the Animatrix. Uh, um, so the Matrix and South Park were ninety nines, though. I feel I don't like think I'm, I've given any ninety nines. Maybe Eyes Wide Shut might have been a ninety nine for no, me. No, it was the first movie we did. You wouldn't. Have I loved those, it. So you wouldn't have had those kind of. I love Eyes Nice. Yeah. Uh, so um, we do a, basically three different ratings. We do it if we saw it in ninety nine. You saw it in ninety nine. We did not. So. Uh, we'd love to hear your rating of that. Then uh, a rating before the podcast and a rating after the podcast, as though the podcast might have in some way or another changed your opinion on the film. Yeah, you guys have lofty uh, we try. expectations. We try. You know, changing the world. You never know. Well, it's happened on many occasions, which is why we implemented yeah, you, it, because we get turned all the time. What did you – oh, you only dropped Snow Falling on Cedars like 13 points. That's a fair amount. I thought you dropped But it was 13 to start with, so that, that was <laughs> – <laughs> I, I gave. I actually liked Snow Falling on Cedars more than uh, Kenny and Alex. But um, so I'll go first, just to give you a little time to think about yours. But um, so I didn't see this film in '99, but I obviously saw it the other day and watched it. Um, I really liked it a lot. I gave it a seventy. Um, it felt. Uh, I just. I, I'm. I am a sucker for camaraderie. Um, so I exactly love. Who gave Snow Falling on Cedars? No, so I give that. I think a seventy-two. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is like the equivalent you of, you, me out, of you scribbling in C for every answer uh, on like the SAT. C, that- C, um, C, but but I do think that I just really love seeing people 
just camaraderie getting along. Um, it's why I love the, the dance at the end. It's why I love the poker scene. It's why I love this cast, which to your point, I think really feels real. Um, and then after this podcast, I'm going to go up a little bit. I'm going to go up to a 75. I thought that, uh, you know, I like it even more now. So, yeah. All right. I'll go too. Uh, in honor of your Snow Falling on Cedars rating, I gave it a 72, um, which is true. I really gave it a 72. I, I believe you. It. And uh, yeah, I feel the exact same way you did. It was a, it's a great watch. Um, it's, it's a really fun it's movie. A, it's a great watch. Like I appreciated the way the narrative kept moving and I appreciated the way I really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, Aaron, unfortunately, and, knew exactly what yeah, was going to happen. Yeah, well – Hey, I knew it was going to happen in Schindler's List. I bet you did. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I, did I, it change I, for you, or did you say the same? Well, here's the thing about like the, the podcast and the shade Aaron just threw at us. <laughs> um, it's a I, great podcast. I really, you know, I really, I, I, I really find myself. Like I really enjoyed this conversation and the conversation was in general a positive one mm-hmm. and in general a constructive one. And um, because like this – I think this movie gave birth to interesting conversations and there's a little more um, – there, there, there are deeper layers than I, I think I initially realized when I thought it was basically a fun hangout movie. Mm-hmm. I have to go up. So I'm yeah. going up I'm going up to 77. Um, Just had to do me, huh? I'm kidding. Yeah, I went up the same exact amount. Yeah, the same amount. But um it's kind of the opposite of the of the <clears throat> snow falling at yeah. Cedars. We're like we had a really great constructive conversation, but it was mostly about all the ways that movie failed. The movie's problematic. You know, yeah. and but no, but not even problematic from like a I mean, representation just, yeah. point of view. Like execution. Yeah. Execution yeah. wise. And this movie feels like the opposite. It's it it is more or less succeeded what it set out to do in nineteen ninety nine. And I <laughs> don't have a and I and like the things like the, the 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 failure to represent the female point of view that does seem kind of indicative of the times you know it certainly doesn't do a bad job as say American Pie in that respect sure uh, you know, so few films do it's a similar kind of setup you know in terms of like four friends who like yeah. are just trying to figure it out so yeah. seventy seven like the movie nice um I <clears throat> I'll give my grade for ninety nine yeah and then for two thousand nineteen yeah ninety nine um. I give it an 80. Uh, at the time, it was really refreshing, you know. Again, given the context, there wasn't really anything like The Best Man before that. Like, truly, before it, there wasn't a... Did you a, see it with your wife out of curiosity? I did, yeah. We saw it together. So there's the, obvious, there's a sentimental value sure. of having seen it together with my new wife. Mm-hmm. Um, that was significant. But then also, there hadn't been any rom-coms featuring a mainly black cast. I mean... The Wood earlier that year technically came before it. Sure. But before that year. It's not really a rom-com either, The Wood, as much that's as true. Yeah, it, that's it also true. feels a bit like a bridge because the 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 um, flashback stuff is kind of people living in poverty, figuring it out. So, and, yeah, to a certain – but it's still living in, in – it's not living in depressive – no, you know, it's having fun within those conflicts. Yeah, it's having fun within those. And, you know, when you're talking about the wood, I mean, that's so much of that is just, again, sentimental. It's the game of, you know, can you grab the, you know, grab the booty, the, grab the booty. And, you know, that that's again, 1999. But, you know, 
sentimental more than am I going to make it home or is the guy going to put a bullet in my head kind of thing, you know, yeah. um, that might hang over everything. But there's, it's, a, there's you know, a little bit of that. There's a little bit of. um yeah, it touches upon that. But. It touches upon it, but it's like those are you know, things on the fringe as opposed to like true kid interactions. With uh, with the best man, just there hadn't been anything like it before, like truly in, in the same way that um, Crazy Rich Agents comes along. There's nothing that you can name that's remotely like yeah. that before it at all. Even, even Joy Luck Club was more of a drama about family. There was nothing like Crazy Rich Agents. And that's what I always try to implore to people that, that kind of go, I don't see what the big deal is. I saw it. I liked it. You know, it wasn't the best film I've ever seen. It's like, well, you have to understand it's revolutionary for what it is. Like it's n- never like an American mainstream film that's never been done before. The best man, while it hit and it didn't hit as big as, as you know, Crazy Rich Asians, obviously, but a hit, a bona fide hit unto itself, which just the first of its kind off of that. And then, you know, this is a testament to it. You had many films that were trying to then imitate it. There's a movie called The Brothers that came out, I think, four or five years later. Also had Morris Chestnut. Yeah. Had um, had uh, Shamar Moore, mm-hmm. who's from my show, who's in it, along with like Bill Bellamy. And I think um, um, it's another comedian who's, who I'm blanking on. My guy, D.L. Hughley, I think, was, uh, mm-hmm. was the other guy in it. You had like... You know, there are two or three films that are trying to capitalize on mm-hmm. that. Just two years later, 2001. Right. So <clears throat> in the same way that Boys in the Hood kind of opened up kind of an expanse of, all right, we can do serious sure. black movies about stuff. I think The Best Man did that for, you know, the, you know, kind of the, the romantic drama space, if you will. There are really a lot of them, actually. I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. It's it, Love and Basketball, for sure. Love and uh, Basketball is a, yes, that's yeah. a, that's. That's a uh, descendant, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, just looking here, similar movies. I mean, you have Jason's Lyric, which kind of falls into this category. And it's interesting with Jason's Lyric, because I think that came a little bit before The Best Man. Oh, did it? I want to say. 94. Yeah. Because right. yeah. the thing I remember about Jason's Lyric, Jason's Lyric didn't go rom-com. They it's they were still. Kind of straight romance. That's a film, though, that had it come out like 10 years later, it would have been a romantic comedy. But because it came out in the era after Boys in the Hood, it, that's a lot about, you know, a guy yeah. trying to escape his, his sure. past and has a gangster brother. Bokeem yeah. Woodbine's debut, I think. And Jada Pinkett was in that yeah. before She's Will. Lyric, right? She's lyric. And um, so there's a romance, but it's a romance in the midst of like a gangster drama. Sure. You know, if that's made 10 years later mm-hmm. in the two in the early aughts. I think that's a different film. Mm-hmm. But The Best Man kind of basically made it okay, where it's like, it's okay if we want to do just beautiful people, beautiful setting. Yeah. Again, black Nancy Myers, you can yeah. go there, you got yeah. this. And, you know, then you had everything now that kind of leads up to the Empire, of the you know, Empires of the World, sure. uh, the, the again, The Best Man sequel. Because of that, I give it an 80 at the time because of its significance to, mm-hmm. you know, film and significance to opening up to new avenues. I have to say, though, you know, when I'm talking about pieces and how they're judged over time, I do judge it, you know, in, in part over, you know, did it completely maximize what you're trying to do, you know? And I love the guys a ton. Um, but I do wish there was a little bit more from the female characters. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love Nia Long's character. I wanted, you know, as we talked about her arc already, because of that, right now in 2019, maybe I feel different you know, another five years from mm-hmm. now, but right now in 2019, I would, I would bring it down just a little bit. 
just based on that. Because whenever I watch it, those are always the parts now that I just can't help but question somewhat. You know, this would imagine what this film would be with just a little more perspective on mm-hmm. Mia, on Mia's character, a little bit more perspective on Sanaa's character coming in. You know, mm-hmm. I think even Malcolm Lee acknowledges that to a certain extent when he made Girl Trip. You know, was that last year? Yeah, two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, you know. So in essence, and uh, and also, you know, somewhat related. I think Spike has always acknowledged that if there's an area where he's felt like he's always had yeah. an obvious weakness is female characters. Yeah, I mean, we're. I'm excited to talk Spike. We have Summer of Sam, which came yeah. out in '99, which is sort of a somewhat atypical Spike Lee movie to a certain degree. Um, but I'm I'm curious to you know rewatch it. I haven't seen it since '99. Mm-hmm. Um, one of his first films with a primarily white cast or, or with uh, not white, but they're Latina, I guess. Just yeah, is that Latina? before there's before 25th hour. Yeah. yeah. 25th I, think it, hours, I think it is yeah. his first film right. with a primarily non-black cast, yeah. um, which I think is interesting. Um, and just, just, to, you know, I'm, I'm curious to sort of explore. He's just, he's a fascinating filmmaker. So I'm just, I'm curious to sort of see how that, uh, yeah. Spike, Spike always felt like as a quintessential New York filmmaker, yes. you know, cause even when I think about do the right thing, I don't, I don't always put it in the same category with, say, even the best man because it's very New York. I mean, you have Rosie Perez, Puerto Rican, very big yeah. part of that film. You obviously got Danny Aiello and yeah. John Turturro. You know, it's kind of a hodgepodge. Yeah, a lot of black characters, but it's not like a world that's populated yeah. with all black <clears throat> characters. It's, it's New York. I just went to see it in the theater. They did a re-release of it for its anniversary. Right. I'd never seen it on the big screen before, and that movie's a masterpiece. Like, it's just a, it's an unbelievable yeah. movie. Brooklyn's yeah. just different. Yeah, There's sure, just sure. something different sure. about Brooklyn uh, because people, everybody who wasn't black or Latino yeah. left the Bronx. Right. Um, so the Bronx didn't have this kind of melting pot thing. Mm-hmm. But Brooklyn, the Italians and the Jews didn't leave. So it's real. So, yeah. so every and the bl- black people and Korean people moved into Brooklyn. So Brooklyn just never, never stopped being a melting pot. So people kind of learned to live with each other. And what's weird about Do the Right Thing, which is a masterpiece, which I'm crazy about, yeah. is that was unusual. What happened in that movie where it blew up mm-hmm. in general, things kind of worked, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. despite the racism, despite sure. all the racism that happened between all these people in general, things kind of worked in Brooklyn. So I think I, I, I mean, I think that movie's amazing, but I, I do think that, that. Oh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. The, the only thing that can change Brooklyn are the hipsters in Williamsburg. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not, now Brooklyn is different, yeah. but up until about... I'll up, take your Brooklyn, I'll raise you hipsters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> up until about 2004, when all my friends moved to Brooklyn, because they're like, ah, I want to be in the middle of the melting pot. Yep. Um, it was that for a long time. Yeah. Now, frankly, now that's Harlem. But um, now Harlem is being, has been yeah. like completely gentrified. Really? Yep. Oh my God, it's the weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, I, I will say this too. I do think, you know, just a quick aside, Spike yeah. has always been one of the most underrated to me American filmmakers in that, you know, do the right thing. I mean, he still talks about it. I love Sex, Lies, and Videotape. I love Soderbergh. I'm a fan. Do the right thing is the film that will live on forever. Sex, Lies will be the film that you have to remember when you mm-hmm. remember what started the awards yeah, yeah, yeah. and what started Soderbergh. Yeah. Like that's not even his best film. I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, um, 
This was such a Sundance movie too. Like it was just, it was a different animal and very, very of its very specific time. Obviously it's in the title. He would even acknowledge it. I think Soderbergh would acknowledge it. But that said, you know, with Spike, he's always been underrated in the number of quality films he's made. You know, Mm -hmm. I like, I love Malcolm X to this day. Malcolm X is, I think his best film. It's one of mine too. And people always default to do the right thing because that's the one that made the splash. And it is, absolutely great malcolm x is probably it's one of the i don't even have a handful of biopics that will watch multiple times you respect biopics my theory on that is that you respect them you have to respect them you know walk the line comes out i I I watch it i enjoy it joaquin is great in it Mm -hmm. you know uh, as is reese you watch gandhi you know you have to watch that respect that you watch you know rocket man when it comes out you watch bohemian rhapsody when it comes out here's the thing so how many of those biopics, how many of any biopics will you actually watch on its own merits as a film itself beyond the one time that, you know, you yeah. feel like you're required to watch it? Malcolm X is one of those few. I agree. I, I just think it's an amazing film. Well, the scope of it and, and it's just it's I mean, it's it's a, it's an immaculate movie. It's insane yeah. that, that that Denzel didn't win for it. I believe. Yeah. And um, it wasn't nominated for this picture either. No. no. Or director. He he lost to uh to my he lost to Al, Al, Al Pacino. Pacino for but then woman. but it's always a domino effect. Yeah. Al got screwed when he never won from Michael Corleone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's true. Like or, Michael Corleone <laughs> afternoon or anything. Or dog days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. No, I, yeah, I think that I, the reason I always the reason I think Malcolm X is is it's not really it's really apples and oranges, but like do the right thing is like quite obviously his kind of coolest film. Yeah. Right. It's quite obviously the film that like you point to like a, like, um, it's also stylistically, that's like what it's I the mean. most it's, Spike Lee it's movie. Quite <laughs> obviously like, yeah. like yeah. this, like, you know, revolutionary movie. Yeah. But it's so hard to make a great biopic. Yeah. It's like a truly great biopic. It's so hard. And the way that movie is chaptered, I've talked about it on the podcast before because, you know, I think it's almost impossible. So the way that movie's kind of chaptered out, I think it's like nine distinct, really compelling um episodes of his life is is really hard and really amazing. It's also it's all it was also a movie that was incredibly hard to get financing for. I mean, there was all sorts oh, of things that he ooh, did to yeah, try yeah. to to make like that was well, pu- yeah, the, pushing a, the, a boulder up a hill. The story behind the making of it is a movie into itself. Yeah. I think in the same way that the Francis Ford Coppola, you know, that yeah, documentary. <laughs> but that documentary yeah. his wife made the about making it. It would have been great to have that for Malcolm X. Yeah. Um between the legendary stories of of Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Bill Cosby like contributing money. And by the way, Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson were contributing while they were on the dream team. Yeah. <laughs> like the greatest yeah. basketball team ever. They're sending money to yeah. Spike as he's making Malcolm X. While this is in the shadow of the Rodney King, you know, um, you know, beating and yeah. the rise that it happened, like which is incorporated into the film. Yeah, and those all are thematically like parallel to the actual message of the film. Yeah. I mean, it's that's just Pretty crazy. Yeah. He's, I mean, and and he does something similar at the end of uh, uh, Black Panther, oh, right? Yes, yeah. where you know he's it's it's amazing that he's just like it's. Do you see? Have we haven't learned anything? Black Klansman yeah. was uh, was co-written by an old professor of mine, Kevin Wilmot, um, mm-hmm. from Kansas. Uh, so I a lot of respect for that film and you yeah. know very happy you know and, for the and, success and it was great to see spike win people um, are kind of yeah. starting like i think when people start to make these new great american filmmaker things you know like who are the greatest of all times with the scorseses and the coppolas and the you know 
the John Fords and the, mm-hmm. you know, William Wyler's are on those lists. I'm pretty sure Spike Lee will be on those lists from now on. I hope, I hope so. so. It, I, it feels like people are get people are understanding that he's more than just kind of like the guy who did do the right thing, which I think he was for a long time. Yes. In people's minds. So he's, he's had a very, a fascinating filmography. I'm excited to talk about it when we do Summer of Sam, just in terms of the, the ups and downs of his mm-hmm. career have been really interesting. The, the, the financial successes that he's found and then the, yeah. the big swings that he's taken on the smaller movies. It's, 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 he's a fascinating I'd guy. I'd ask Aaron to come back on, but I doubt he has anything he wants to say about Spike. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure. Aaron. Who? <laughs> <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming on for the best man. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. And we really would love to have you back. I hope that we can find a time to, to bring me happen. in if, if uh, we want to start off with rom-coms and get into religion i'm game <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you you're on twitter right do you have a twitter handle or you- uh, i am yes i, I am a r thomas t-h-o-m-a-s tv uh so next week we're doing uh we have a good a, guy to talk to about have, this right now we have- Someone we who do. lives and dies by TV ratings. So we um, we've got Joey Dalian coming on um, to talk about uh, TV ratings in 1999 and Ooh. the successes of uh, your your ERs and uh, your friends. Must see TV. Sixty minutes at the time. All that stuff. How to how to uh, who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah, uh, it was you know which was sort of a, a big moment. You, you can speak to you probably better than I can in terms Huge of moment. in terms of that whole sort of game shows yes. and then Survivor coming uh, shortly thereafter and all that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a different time. There were a lot less channels. Uh, you had shows that were canceled with numbers that are shocking today. I mean, in yeah. terms of the, the share yeah, and ten the million ratings, viewers could get you canceled. Could get you canceled, then. which is just insane. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what's it like being one of you know the the shrinking amount of people who actually has to concern himself with ratings on a weekly basis. It's, it's interesting. We're in a hybrid scenario right now where things are shifting, where even the way you see ratings in 2019, is just so different than when I started. Um, you know, I started on an NBC show, Friday Night Lights, Once Upon a Time. Our ratings were very low. But, you know, at that point, it was all about the overnights, you know, the overall audience and the demo, Right. And for so long, that was kind of the default. What's the overnights? What's the overall? What's the demo? As, you know, ad and salespeople started to get a little more specific, it became more and more about just the demo, that 18 to 49. You know, overalls didn't really even matter as much. That's why you have the CW where the overalls are minuscule, but like 90% of that is the demo. Nowadays, though, as things continue, continue to, to shift, and you guys already know this and I'm sure have discussed this, is that because... It's so rare for people to watch anything live, you know, unless it's sports and you have to watch it live. It's so much that overnight figure just doesn't matter as nearly as much as it used to. And now it becomes so much about that plus three, meaning who's watched it three days up until three days later or the plus seven who's watched it up until a week later. Or even bigger now. I feel like they're expanding it even more now. that They have to. Yeah. Yeah, Because there's just so many viewing options and, you know, and just like with Netflix, a series may come out right now, but you may not watch it until, you know, eight months from now. Yeah. It becomes that thing of, you know, you could have a show that may have very low overnight, but then if they have monster, you know, plus seven or, Mm -hmm. you know, more ratings that can actually be a success. You just have to adapt with the viewing habits of the audience. And that's right now continuing to change you know, as we move forward. So what we're always looking for, what, how it's impacted us on a day-to-day basis is the storylines that you're telling, you're looking to, in the same way that Netflix always has that 
that impetus to make you want to continue to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it it affects now even more and more network viewing as well. You know, that standalone uh, model that was always kind of like the 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 president, you know, for many, many years now becomes more of let's give them, make sure that there are nuggets that will make sure that your investment pays off. If you're going to watch an episode or two, and then number two leaves you wanting more. It's that balance of serialization and and procedural. I'm assuming that you sort of have to find that, that, uh, that middle ground. It's, you know, we had a great conversation with Joe who, uh, who works for Vulture. Yeah. Um, he is, he's, he's the guy, the guy. I mean, we got the guy. We got the guy. If you want to know about TV ratings, (laughs) He's the guy. Uh, he broke it down for us. Uh, We've been getting a lot of guys lately. We have. And, and girls. We've been just getting great people. Yeah, look at us. <laughs> look at us. I know. Um, podcast. So there you go. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on here. We really Eat do appreciate it. Your heart out, Mark Marin. <laughs> um, and we look forward to having you back someday. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. A lot of fun. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.